Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. This episode is a little bit of a departure from our normal subject matter as we sit down with two guests to discuss the conflict in Ukraine. Myself, Philip, and Owen Mulder have a conversation with Zachary Burgart, who's a former reconnaissance Marine and a fellow hog. Zachary recently made a trip to Ukraine with the intention of assisting with aid to the people by ways of providing medical support and training, basic infantry skills training, and logistical coordination for the newly established Citizen Army. Zach gives us his perspective on what he witnessed and provides valuable insight as to the morale of the Ukrainian people and the overall situation as he saw it. This was a fantastic conversation, guys, and you can expect to hear Zach more often on the show. If you'd like to provide any donations to the charity organizations that Zach represented on his trip, you can find those links in the podcast description below. Thanks for listening, guys, and enjoy the episode. Zach, what's up, man? This is my first time meeting you. So tell tell me about where you come from, what your history is. Yeah. Hey, it's a pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me on, man. I listen to you guys, and I follow you guys on Instagram. Phil. Whenever I need like a big perk up from being out of the military, I go watch your shooting videos, man. I dig it. It gets me hyped. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching them for years, man. Uh, so I came in the Marine Corps in 2004 and uh, got in the water at SOI, went to 1st Recon Battalion, BRC, and then uh, went on to 3rd Recon Battalion, uh, did Iraq with Fallujah 2006-2007, um, did a couple other MUSE out there, met Owen uh, when I was going through his Urban Scout Sniper course, and then uh, after third, I went to second force for about four years. Uh, injuries started adding up. Um, I needed to go get some medical attention, so I went to Belvoir for a bit got selected for the personal exchange program to go down to Chile and work with their Navy SEALs for three years. Uh, but while I was awaiting language school, my concussions finally added up. And when I went to the TBI clinic, uh, I said I had like 12 concussions <clears throat> that were undocumented. But after talking about like signs and symptoms and uh, experiences, they're like, okay, uh, definitely a concussion. Oh, you remember the time you flew out of the helicopter? Yeah, yeah definitely a concussion. So, like, <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, like my lights turned out, man, I couldn't remember dates, times, my kids names. I'd wake up and think it was like four days in the rear and couldn't remember the last like three days. So I ended up uh, going to the TBI clinic on Fort Belvoir for about a year and a half where I got medically retired. Uh, after 14 years of glorious Marine Corps service, man. And then, uh, went to art school started putting all of these lived experiences and things into like bronze sculptures and uh, making flags out of combat worn uniforms and stuff. And then, uh, really? Yeah. And then I uh, <clears throat> uh, just graduated here last December and started jujitsu at this Academy here outside Chicago, uh, BJJ lab, Naperville. And uh, the owner is a force recon dude from late nineties, early two thousands. So we, immediately linked up. And then, uh, like a month later, he sends me a text. You want to go to Ukraine? Yeah, of course. And so, um, went to Ukraine, did the thing, uh, which I'm sure, you know, we'll get into talk about and then came back, man, trying to figure out what's next. Well, that's, that's a cool story, man, for sure. Like, like going from, going from being a recon sniper to, uh, a school trained artist is, a 
is a tremendous transition. And uh, I'm noticing now, like after you mentioned, you know, making flags out of worn uniforms, I can see exactly what, what you got going on there in the background. And that's, that's just awesome. I think yeah. that that's, uh, that's, there's another, there's another guy in our community, um, Taylor White. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Taylor. Yeah. yeah. It's the same kind of thing. It's just, you know, Taylor just, I love that guy, man. He's like, he's able to actually just be himself and, um, and, and highlight his artistic capabilities as himself. And he's hilarious to yeah. watch. He's, he's great, um, man. Yeah. It's like, and, and, you know, he started off just by doing those pictures of the M forties and the sniper weapon systems, you know, with the, yeah. with the line art. And it's just, it's super cool to watch guys do that. Yeah. When I was, uh, out there, you know, we were in the same region. He was, I think he had just graduated from, uh, William Mary college or university, whatever. Um, when I was like really thinking about becoming an artist, um, and so I went down and linked up with him a couple of times at his place and in his studio and picking his brain on the different stuff. And it's funny because, you know, like, you know, where once we picked his brain for like sniper stuff, now I'm picking his brain for like artist stuff. Man. For art stuff. That's funny. Such a funny little like uh, transition, you know, but yeah, he makes fantastic work. He's like literally he's on a skyrocket path as far as uh, what being a professional artist is for real. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so when you went to Ukraine, obviously, obviously this is, uh, this is, this is an event that is pretty intense. I mean, you know, looking at it from, from multiple perspectives, obviously we've participated in, in, in wars. All of us have, you know, we've all participated in, in wars and, I don't know. It just seems like this is very different. It seems obviously this is very like World War II esque. Of for sure. All right, let's just pull the trigger, and we're just going to go level everything, and and just kill everything, and and yeah. and just start from scratch. And I would. I'm just so glad to hear your perspective on this, just because yeah, obviously we've all been read in on propaganda, and we learned mm -hmm. about propaganda in high right. school. We learned about history and how effective propaganda is when it's used effectively. And I think it's being used very effectively right now. And so, I mean, being able yeah. to get a, a firsthand perspective is, is super important. So, yeah. Um, uh, first off though, like Owen, like you're, you're who made this connection. And so I know all of our, all of our listeners that have, that have talked to us about podcast that you've done with us, they're all super stoked to have you back on the podcast as well. So we're, we're really glad to have you got back. And this is going to be a really awesome conversation because there's a lot of, there's a, there's a couple of super smart people here that I'm interested in hearing from. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. I'm glad, uh, glad I could make it. Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, so how this whole thing kind of came together is, uh, I started seeing, uh, so I'm connected to some guys that are still part of the national security sort of apparatus and they're prior Marines, retired Marines that are off doing other things. And I got a, uh, a text, uh, from one of them. He thought it was the coolest thing. He's like, Hey, guess what? There's Marines over in Ukraine volunteering. And, uh, and he sent me this link. I think, I think it was, was, what was it, Zach? Was it the Washington Times? Washington no, Washington, 
Yeah, Washington Post. Yeah, yeah. Washington Post. It's Washington Post link. And I get there, and I'm reading it, and it's like, you know, you said, yeah, it's a, a Prime Marines over there. And I was like, you got to be shitting me. Like this, I know this guy. <laughs> and, you know, like, what the hell? So, yeah. So, that, I mean, that's that's kind of how it all started. And, uh, and eventually, that's, yeah, that's why I got to you, Kayla. And I'm like, man, I got to, I got to, whenever Zach is free and he gets back and he's uh, sort of assimilated back into a society or whatever, uh, I got to. I got to get a hold of this guy and I want to hear about this, <laughs> you know, cause it's, it's one thing to, to read the article. It was a great article, uh, for anybody. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a really good article. Uh, but, uh, but we all know that, uh, uh, mainstream media is, is, is they, you know, they, they're, they're doing their thing or whatever. And right. I, I just want I want to talk to Zach and hear the, yeah, the stuff that they wouldn't print in an article or, you know, you know, the, right. the real deal. So, yeah. Yeah. So what were you, what capacity were you there in Zach? So um, I'll back up and tell like the story. Okay. So yeah, when he reached out and this is a, uh, it's a Saturday. So this is day three of the war. He sent me a text. He's like, would you like to go to Ukraine? He's like, yes. You know, keep me informed. Let's, let's more details. And um, uh, one of the guys from the Academy, uh, Yuri, he immigrated to the United States when he was 21, like 11 years ago, and hasn't been home since due to the immigration process and not wanting to get trapped, you know, there or not being able to come back or, you know, whatever. And so he hasn't been home that entire time. And as luck would have it, uh, he became naturalized citizen in September of last year and just randomly got his passport in February, you know, so like the timelines couldn't have been more perfect. And so... Mark took him shooting at that range uh, to release some steam that Saturday, you know, day three of the war, <clears throat> you know, he's watching his whole country be, you know, invaded, bombed, all kinds of the stuff, you know? And so um, they went shooting, uh, blew off some steam. And he's like, I think I'm going to go to Ukraine. And Mark's like, what? And he's like, yeah, I think I have to go home. I don't know if home will be there in six months, you know? And now that I'm a citizen, yeah. I know I can get back. And um, yeah. And Mark's like, well, won't let you go alone. Let me call Zach. And so, um, yeah, called me and to, uh, we coordinated more about it. He told me the story and I was like, Oh yeah, Yuri, man, for sure. He was one of the first dudes I rolled with, uh, that night. And instead of just, you know, beating up on the new guy, it was like super accommodating, respectful, helpful. Um, you know, like, whereas a lot of other dudes, like just, you know, use them as a rolling dump, which is all good, man. I'm appreciate that fact of it as well. Um, but so that was Saturday. We decided to go for sure on Sunday and flew out the next day. So like 48 hours after, um, discussing like the possibility we were already in the air and landed the next day, uh, didn't have any idea what was going to happen. You know, so we flew into Bucharest in Romania, didn't have any idea, you know, but even like the legalities of walking into a war zone country, right? Because it's been so long since we've had a no joke, you know, country on country declare war, right? Yeah. Uh, we didn't know, like, are they going to not let people in from Romania? Are they going to try to arrest people on the side? Like, you know, just all these like unknowns, right? But what we did know was that, um, you know, there's going to be com- 
uh, there's going to be injuries and casualties. And through, you know, our combat experience, we know the type of medical gear that just gets blown through, right? Mm-hmm. You know, cotton bandages, ace elastic wrap, um, burn cream, slings, eye patches, eye wash, all the stuff that just gets blown through um, and tourniquets, but we couldn't find any. So, but on the way to the uh, the border of Ukraine, it was like a nine and a half hour drive from Bucharest, which um, as luck would have it, our academy is like really Eastern European influence, I guess. Say I don't know. I mean, we got a lot of uh, members from Eastern Europe, which is fantastic. It's really, it's a great environment. One of the dudes, uh, his father lives in Romania. So he actually picked us up at the airport. No English. We don't speak any oh, Romanian, right? Looked like we kidnapped this fucking guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everything's Google Translate on the phone. And I hold it up to his ear and push play. You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> you know, he'll use his phone back and forth. And so, uh, yeah, this dude just out of the kindness of his heart and like, you know, just like us wants to help Ukraine. Um, picks us up at like 5 p.m. It's raining. Uh, we hit up like every pharmacy on the way uh, before they close at like 9 or 10. And we just get boxes and boxes of, of uh, combat med supplies, you know, and it like it was so funny. It was like surreal, man, like. You know, walking up to the counter, pushing play on my Google Translate, and it's like, <laughs> I need this. we will buy all of these XXX materials you can spare. You know, because also, like, small-town Romania stuff, we sure. don't want to fully deplete them, right? So we want to let mm-hmm. them know, like, everything you can spare, please, right? And so um, uh, they would, like, talk to him a little bit, our driver, talk to us through the app a little bit. And then, like, once it clicked on who we were, where we were going... Um, a lot of places gave us like free stuff too, right? Uh, including these like, <laughs> my guys will laugh from hearing this, but including these um, these like Clorox wipes, right? Uh, <laughs> the packages were in Romania, in Romanian, but um, so they give us all these goods, and uh, we just got boxes and boxes, man, thousands of dollars on the way. We get to the border at like two a.m., and there's like police barricades, dude uh like half a mile away and we're like okay is this gonna be like an all you know 24 7 thing you know so we were like really cautiously figuring out what was going on so we you know lazily walk up to and i mean like there's cars all over the place parked running people sleeping inside of them and we're wondering like okay how early do we get to the gate if it opens when it opens to beat this line of people in all these cars you know like it's 2 a.m right now do we need to start stacking up like 5 a.m or something we go over and talk to the uh, police officer in the road and we're like, um, you know, is it legal to go into Ukraine? He's like, yeah, sure. It's fine. Like, <laughs> why, why is it all closed off? And the guy's like, no, yeah, it's, sure, it's fine. Yeah. He's like, yeah, whatever. Like, I could care less, man. Do what you got to do. And uh, we're like, why is this uh, closed off and blocked off? He's like, that's oh, curfew. You can't cross from 10 PM to 8 AM. I'm like, okay. Okay. We're like, how early do we need to get there at, at, uh, before 8 a.m. to beat the line he goes there is no line <laughs> you know i was like looking around at all these cars i'm like what about all these guys he's like they're uh they're tourists they want to see all the refugees coming across and it's like that is oh. such a it was such a weird thought right oh my like God. disaster and porn for these people it is man it's like a car yeah, crash that's it, really, it felt like that yeah now there were we you know we talked to a couple of different people over the course of the next couple hours you know hanging out by the cars <clears throat> like what they were doing or whatever and some had crossed before their other family members had crossed and so they're just waiting 
Um, others had like, they're waiting for link up on the other side. And so it wasn't all like tourists, but it really felt gross, man. You know? Uh, and you can see, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, they're all NATO EU plates or not, you know, they're all EU plates. And so you can see like what country all the cars are from, man. And they're like a ton of them were from all over the place. Not, not Romania, you know, specifically traveled to like one of the biggest border crossings. Zach, uh, uh yeah. Zach, let me, let me jump in here. I got, uh, so I have friends that live, uh, Americans that, uh, are, uh, doing stuff overseas in Europe. And I've been talking to them since this started. And for example, one of them lives in Italy and he, he says, even in Italy, he's seeing just convoys of people heading from all over Europe and he'll talk to them and they're all headed to Ukraine. Or, or 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 Romania or Poland or right or something yeah it's just it's there, there's this huge it's weird like now a lot of them the... it feels yeah a lot of them it feels like they are going to help right like the refugee tent centers and things and like you know NGOs nonprofits whatever like it was massive you know like it was a village dude like even to the point of like, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan, you had like the wooden pallets on the ground to create that like false floor, you know, on like muddy surfaces. Like they had that entire thing built up like that for like, dude had to be like 300, 400 meters long with like nothing but big tents, small tents, stands to give away, you know, anything you could imagine that someone would need diapers, formula, all kinds of food, all kinds of clothing, uh, cell phones, SIM cards, anything you can imagine there's like a tent for it right and there's also like the turkish you know thing here like if you have this descent go here if you're this sect go here you know on your way um but uh yeah so we uh uh we took like turn shift we took like shift sleeping in the car um and then like 7 30 ish probably you know went through they're letting people through then and then we got up to like those like that big tented area and um put our backpacks on. We just went with backpacks, no luggage or anything, you know, pack super light, uh, planned for a 10 day trip, um, with backpacks and like five massive boxes and just walked to the, to the, uh, to the border crossing. Right. And we went to the side that, um, we saw all the traffic from, right. And we're like, Oh, that must be the, you know, the side that's open, you know, we're walking over there and, um, there's a Romanian, uh, officer comes out and we're like, Hey, is this how you get to Ukraine? And he goes, no, it's on that side. And you're like, look at that side. And we're like, that's an empty parking lot, you know? And it was <laughs> nothing, nobody, nothing, you know? No, no one's rushing to the fight. Nobody's going through that side. And this other side, you know, like busy, accommodating, tons of people. This other side, it was like fucking ghost land. We're like, that must be the one, you know? And walked over there and like, there's this tiny little hut uh, in this big parking lot underneath these like big... Um, like a ceiling structure, like an open air garage almost, right? Like those big metal corrugated roofs. Uh, and there's like this tiny little structure and walk up to it. And I shit you not, man. It looked like the Wizard of Oz. It was like this little window and this dude slides open this little glass and he peeks <laughs> out it. And he's a uh, Romanian border guard, right? And um, we're like, we still don't even know like what's going on. You know, like what's the, like, they're going to be questioning or they're going to try to like, you know, nothing. This guy's like passports enjoy threw him out the window yeah. right can, can i can like, i can i can i add hold, hold on here? hold on no hold right, on ahead, one second ahead, this, <laughs> this was like one of the highlights of the trip man it was so good so he throws the passports back at us right and there's like 
there's no paths, there's no arrows, there's no directions. It's just, we're standing in a parking lot. We're like, to the little man in the window, we're like, what next? And he goes, he pokes his head out the window and he goes, now you go to Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> and just like barely point his fingers. Oh my like, goodness. It's, All right, guess we walk that way, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, look for a horse of a different color, I guess. It's yeah, right. So it's funny. like, it's reminiscent of, of, uh, of that movie, Spies Like Us. I want to say this because, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it's the elephant in the room. Everybody listening is going to think this. I'm like, what kind of a person volunteers to go into this crazy, unknown, uh, I mean, think about the culture shock, the, uh-huh. oh, yeah. the, the unknown, it's a war, you're, you're heading into a war zone. There's a reason one side, people were not going into Ukraine, they were all coming out. Right. Uh, the side coming out was busy the side going in was empty and here you are with these a couple crazy dudes and you're heading into this yeah like i just want to point out that 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 simple (laughs) fact because you're like you're laughing about it like you're laughing about it's a good story but man what there's there's it takes a certain kind of person to do that well you know i would not have gone right so let's let's back up a tiny bit more right so why this felt different, right? And it's like, we're all watching this, you know? And this doesn't feel like it's like a sect on sect, right? It doesn't feel like it's uh, two sides raging up, right? We're just watching this thing. And it was around the Olympics, right? And they're like, hey, uh, Russia now has X number of troops in Bulgaria and Russia. Uh, is it Bulgaria? I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah you know, surrounding Ukraine. The next day it was like, Russia now has this many troops surrounding. And it's like, and then Russia's like, we're not doing anything. You know, we're not doing anything at all. We're not doing it. And it's like, it was just this weird, like, almost like it just, it couldn't be more any, the kind of things that we've been dealing with for the last couple of years, right? This crazy presidential election we had, this crazy pandemic and beliefs on whatever about it. And then we've got, you know, this like, no, we're not going to do the biggest invasion since World War II. What are you talking about? And then all of a sudden, boom, they're in, right? And what I was like personally forecasting, and I'm no expert, obviously, but I uh, was like, you know, yeah, they'll, they'll probably go into the West and the, or the East and the Donbass, and they'll try to take those areas over and just like solidify those like, right. you know, those those couple states and, and Crimea, you know? And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, man, they're in the capital, you know? And all of a sudden, like, they're just bombing random buildings, and it's like, yo, what the fuck, man? And it's like, there's a lot of, um, you know, fog of war type stuff. And America has obviously committed all kinds of atrocities uh, over the course of our 20 plus years of war recently, especially. But I mean, to be so blatant and like undeserving, right? And just such a like a big kid on the playground, right? It felt wrong not to want to get involved and then when the opportunity came of somebody who was ukrainian who wanted to go back and in essence kind of like needed an escort or would have been great to have some type of a military escort he's been to combat zones and knows things to to look out for uh it's mm-hmm. like dude i couldn't help but jump on the chance yeah, like you could almost like probably couldn't have slept at night if you just let him go alone no yeah, for sure uh i will say uh so i, I try try to stay connected because like you said uh, there's so much um spin and narrative going on in american mm-hmm. media and uh and everything it's hard to 
digest what the hell is going on sometimes. Right. And so I try to stay connected to guys that are still doing stuff and, uh, and kind of have the, the grassroots sort of raw information. I was being told, uh, in 2021, in the fall of 2021, we're talking like November, December, mm-hmm. that there were, there, that there were concerns that Russia was going to, uh, invade Ukraine with the intent of trying to take the country. And, and mm-hmm. the, prediction was that Putin was going to try to invade Ukraine and that he was going to do it, um, particularly because uh, his calculation was that if he invades during the winter months of Europe, then he has the ability to cut off uh, petroleum Mm -hmm. into Europe, which they need in the winter. And that would give him a leverage point. uh, And that if that went well, that Russia and uh, China were communicating that if Russia's invasion of Ukraine went well, that China planned on invading Taiwan around April right. when, when it's low uh, monsoons and low weather. Right, right. So Ch- China was watching this as mm-hmm. an indicator to whether or not they were going to invade Taiwan this year. And and when uh, and, and, and when I heard that, I was like, that can't be true. I mean, that'd be crazy. Right. Like you just said. I mean, when, when's the last time someone invaded a country? But then they did it. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. So, so where did you go? So you made entry on the north, on the north border of Romania. Yeah. North border of Romania, southwest of uh, Ukraine. Um, Yuri had some people pick us up at the border and like escort us through. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll get to it in a second, but there was just this like really, really great, uh, um, volunteer organization and like uh logistics train and information gathering sources thing that had been established right it was just very like france resistance force right um and so they picked us up and it was like still kind of sketchy obviously right this big you know this big mercedes van all black picks us up brings us to the border and uh you know we surrender our passports essentially right uh, for the inspection, obviously, but it doesn't feel good going into a war zone and then handing your yeah. passport over. Right. Um, yep. but that took 30, 40 minutes. It was all good. Yuri is speaking the fastest Ukrainian speak. I've ever heard someone speak in my life to these guys, you know, like, Hey, we've been, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks. Now we're in person. Let's get it all out. Right. And so mm-hmm. I'm like using Google Translate to like trying to figure out just like snippets of what they're talking about. Uh, so we could like try to like kind of follow the conversation a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but we get through customs. We go to Yuri's hometown. Uh, it's like a really sweet embrace with him and his mom and his uh, grandma and his stepdad and his sister. And it was like really nice, you know. Um and then immediately got to work, man. Put the medical supplies down. We took showers. Took the, put the medical supplies down. Uh, started separating them out, organizing them. And then uh, went to the volunteer station place and delivered all the medical supplies. Asked them, like, what other things they need? What could they use? So we can start getting in touch with other people back in the States. And both to, like, raise those things. Um, as well as raise funds or speak to other NGOs, nonprofits, whatever that could try to um, collect those things that are, that are needed, right? And then uh, 
I can't remember exactly. I think it was like the military person or somebody at the military little complex, like wanted to talk to us. Um, they knew we were American military prior American military. Um, or if it was Yuri had talked to them and got something set up, but we literally walked to their, their military complex, you know, like, um, a lot of these countries have like a military base in every city, right. Where they have like their company there or something, right. With whatever, you know, like that's the artillery town. This is the infantry town. This is whatever. Right. So this was an infantry town. And, uh, we went there and like knocked on the gates, like, Hey man, three Americans, uh, is the Colonel around, you know, and just like walked us straight up, (laughs) walked us straight up to this, uh, Fulberg Colonel. It was wild. And, uh, this dude takes a meeting and we're like, Hey, you know, like between Mark and I, we've got, you know, over two decades of military experience for trained troops in over a dozen countries. Right. Um, we can help if you want it. Uh, like we're watching these, we're watching people walking around the city with, um, civilian clothing, AKs slung with like yellow tape on their arms. Right. Uh, which was like really surreal. Um, so we talked to him for a little bit. He's like, kind of like, hesitant on it you know and then he's like hey why don't you come over here see if we can harden my structure and so he like gives us a tour of his little base talking about how he can harden his structure and like what he could do to improve um mg positions or ops and all kinds of stuff right so we give him like an hour and a half um walk through and i guess like i guess it was a test and we passed right because we walked back into his office like all right check it out this one dude He's like, I got all these territorial defense guys and they ain't got shit for training, man. He's like, they are motivated as all hell, but I'm not an infantry guy. I was a tanker my whole time, which makes sense to me. on like why he would go through the hardening structures because as a tanker, maybe he has more familiarity with that. Uh, But he's like, all our reservists, all our active duty guys, they're all at the front. You know, they just sucked up everybody and sent them straight to the war, right? And he's like, we now have a bunch of volunteers and a couple of senior guys around and we're like okay he wants to start tomorrow he's like yeah start tomorrow so we had a like a meeting locate or we had a meeting time where the next morning and then for the next like seven days um seven eight days we woke up in the morning i went and got my little you know 70 cent latte and and then started training troops and basic infantry skills uh in this big field and and barracks type uh thing and then it became um People in the town and heard about it. It's like related to this other military base. And so we'd spend a couple hours in the morning training one, and then we'd transition over and spend another couple hours training the other one. And then in the afternoons, we were doing all kinds of like logistics work to uh, better communicate like what they needed on the ground to who wanted to help back in the States, right? Um, <clears throat> as well as uh, we linked up with this other uh, non for profit group that wanted to come in and run like huge logistics trains uh from poland and romania into ukraine and we're going to send like a bunch of uh prior army sf and and seal dudes to come in and facilitate that and so we did the groundwork for that set up um helped them set up supply contacts got them safe houses had them like food delivery stuff set up uh got them phones drivers vehicles you know like just like the good you know same kind of stuff we trained for you know yeah, well, it, well, it's almost like Pineapple Express 2.0, right? Right. Uh, so, uh, is I'm curious how when you went to start training these 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 are like volunteers, just like dentists and, right. and yep. farmers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you and you like everyone else here has been to other countries and they and when they were active duty where we're trying to train people in another country and they and they don't care they're lazy right. all this stuff was there a <laughs> difference it was a difference between your experiences doing that and the ukrainian farmers and dentists that you were training was there a difference yeah markedly crazy difference man it was um yeah it was like surreal man because you know i've trained troops in djibouti morocco oman and you know jordan and philippines and thailand and japan and like all these places right we're like these actual trained paid soldiers right and a lot of them give me the fuck less you know but here where we got a bunch of dudes who so at the time and i imagine it's still there in place but at the time if you were 16 years old to 60 and male you couldn't leave the country right completely blocked and you were like waiting your turn to get conscripted um and a lot of these dudes that were volunteering were like older than 60 man definitely could have left the country you know older than 60 like these are guys who lived under the soviet union yeah 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 and uh um one of the guys in particular the dude who was actually in charge of our well, the first little militia we called militia the tdf that uh we were training first uh asking him i was like hey so what did you do before the war kicked off you know he's like oh yeah i owned a fish store down the street and it's like <laughs> this dude owned a fish store now he's an appointed major in their territorial defense right and um the only reason for that was dude in that before the soviet union fell he was uh I don't know if he was an officer or what, but he served in, I think, another tanker. Like, if you if you can kind of see what's going on, Eastern Europe loves their tanks. You know what I mean? It's just tank war and tank war. And like, back to what you were saying earlier, Caleb, and was like, dude, this war, man, it was just like two smashing heads against next year. Yeah. Like, the way it, it felt to me when we were there and, like, watching the news uh, there, like, in Ukrainian, just felt like every day in every spot was a Stalingrad, man. It was crazy. You know, just throwing it, bodies at it. That, that's what it seems like. It just seems like it's uh, it's just this massive war of attrition utilizing, you know, late yeah. late 80s, early 90s tactics. And, and tech. <laughs> and tech. Yep, yeah. absolutely. And you can just see, you know, from the limited videos. I mean, obviously, there's always these videos coming through. And I follow some sites that, that are – that provide as much, um, I guess, real real-time information that you that – you, that you can try to get, I suppose. Uh-huh. Um, and just watching the tactics and just watching what is happening and how the Russians are responding to guerrilla, like guerrilla warfare tactics and right. how the effectiveness of these guerrilla warfare tactic tactics are, are being utilized. Um, it's, it's to me, it's mind boggling because it's such a vast difference of the combat that I experienced. Yeah. Um, and most likely what what all of us have experienced in in combat like watching tank battles and not necessarily a one-sided tank battle like we like that was fought in 1991 in the Persian right. Gulf where it was yeah. just like a slaughter this is not this is a an equal slaughter on both sides of the house where they're both inflicting tremendous casualties right. upon one another and it's just like one after the other after the other it's 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 pretty crazy. And so did you, were you able to witness any of this or were you able, like, how, how did your travels take you through the country and what did you experience? Yeah. So 
No, the majority of our time was spent there, um, like doing reconnaissance on the ground for the guys coming ashore, essentially, uh, as well as training the militia. It was like the bulk of our time um, and doing logistics stuff. So uh, I'll be honest, you know, like I don't want to fight the war. I don't think it's my place. I don't think it's my deal. But like what I said in that article was like, but I'll absolutely use the training I had to go and train others and experience I had to go and train others to fight their own war, especially one that I feel is incredibly unwarranted, unjust, and like disgusting, you know? Um, We didn't witness like any of the combat, obviously, uh, but Ukraine is like the size of Texas with the population of California, right? Um, So at no point in time are we also like super far away, you know? Right. So we were probably like a three hour, two and a half, three hour drive from the capital, which at the time was completely sieged, essentially, right? Or under siege, rather. Um, and then from like the actual Far East fighting, probably like four hour drive. But like, that's it, you know? What was the time period that, that you were there? This is this the early stages of the war. Yeah. This is when they were around Kiev yep. the, and all that, right? Right. What yeah, the, yeah. What so, was the time period? We got there, like I said, I think we got there on like day five of the war and we left on, I don't know, like day 14, 15. Uh, so like, yeah, very, very early part of the war, you know, and I was on my Instagram um, almost every day trying to give updates to people who wanted information on it. You know, like what I had seen personally, what I'm experiencing and also like ways to help what they need, you know, and we kind of weighed that uh that risk you know like i would send a picture that i wanted to post on it back to my girlfriend have her screenshot the photo send it back to me and then i would send that you know so it was like no geo data on the photos type deal um but uh like we encountered a bunch of refugees obviously right like especially towards the end of when we were there refugees started pouring into the town um like displaced people rather so it's very interesting, too, because America comes in with America, right? And they're like, hey, we can help you. Come to America. We can help you. How many people are you going to accept into America? Come. In. They don't want that shit, man. Like, a lot of them just want to go back to Ukraine, man. ABA yeah. loves Ukraine. They want to get out of this combat. This is my home. Yeah, they want to get out home. of combat, but they don't want to go to America, you know, for, yeah, forever. This is, right. Yeah, right. This, is our, this is their home. Like, this yeah. is, yep. it's just not going to be like, oh, well, fuck this place. It's all done. Like, no, it's, if that was the way Europe was after post-World War II, then nobody would have occupied Europe and nobody would have right. rebuilt and, and continued to, 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 to flourish. Right. Well, I get, it's just, yeah, I get the sense uh, from what you're describing it, Zach, is that uh, in my mind, at least it, it sort of sparks the sort of patriotism and, and national and, and national cohesiveness that America, that I heard about in America in World War II. It's like everyone just sort of comes together for this. Yeah, and that's, so, okay, so when we were setting up the supply lines and things for that other group, right, uh, we found a bunch of um, English speakers, English high school speakers from Kiev who had um, displaced down to this city. And uh, they had volunteered to help us out with that. And when I was talking about you know, like what would be their daily rate? What would they want for this? Whatever. And it was like, they were like offended, you know, it was like, this is my part of the war. You know, this is how I am helping this. And I was like, you know, just to be clear, you don't want any money for this. Like they, they can pay you. And they're like, no, this is my part of the war. Right. And so we locked on 
vehicles, food delivery, safe houses, all kinds of stuff. And the only thing that uh, required money was the safe house and food and fuel. And like, that was it, you know? Uh, but yeah, there's like this huge feeling of just, uh, and I don't know if it was renewed patriotism or just patriotism in general, right? Because it's a new, it's a new country, right? Especially new after 2014 with the revolutions and things, right? And mm-hmm. so I think there is a fresh sense of a, a real democracy there and a real uh, ability there, right? I don't feel like it was like, like Owen and I were talking last night. I don't feel like it was the 9-11 feeling, right? We're like, hey, we're all Americans. Let's come together for a quick sec. You know, I feel like that was the feeling there all the time. Um, So to paint the picture better, you know, like this uh, volunteer network, they had, you know, all kinds of people there to collect goods. They had people there to organize uh, like externally. They had interior and exterior security, right? Where nobody actually came in unless they were volunteering there. Um, As well as like they had drivers, they had logisticians, you know, and nobody were doing these jobs like two weeks before we'd gotten there, right? Like one of the main dudes was actually an economist who switched over and now he runs border runs and facilitates the transfer over the border and expedites people across and things, right? Um, And that's like the whole country, man. There were women there who uh, turned uh, gymnasiums and places into cami netting assembly facilities, right? Where they're just assembling these huge cami nets. And they were all over the place, man, just to, you know, mask sandbag structures, things in the road, buildings of importance or whatever, you know? Um, there, I did not see anyone or talk to anyone who was like doing their own thing or worried about themselves, right? And I mean, like shopkeepers, shops, uh, people in the volunteer network, anybody in the military side, and then like anybody we had come in contact with, you know, and a lot of times when they find out we're Americans, they'd be like, you know, like the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> you know, like we're at war. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, that is why we are here. That's it. And they're like, but why are you here? And we're like, we're just trying to help however that is, you know, and like that mean that meant tons, you know, I think that meant way more than any amount given monetarily or materially, right? For them to actually see Americans in their country at a time of war. And one of the guys, how he put it, when you could be sitting on your couch in safety, right? It like it really solidified the fact that the whole world is behind them, but they understand they're not happy with it, but they understand like the diplomatic uh, ties that, were taking place right and go on uh, i was going to ask um yeah. so once you got into ukraine um how connected were you to information about the larger sort of what's going on or were you pretty isolated into the local network of information did you understand what was going on at a larger scale or were you sort of cut off uh it's interesting because Tons of propaganda, right? And, you know, propaganda can be good and bad, right? Um, for good and for bad, right? So there was, it was really, really, really interesting watching the news there, right? Because the news is in Ukrainian to Ukrainians, right? It was all uber uplifting. It was all, we are whooping their ass. It is all, you know, Russian warship, go fuck yourself, was like literally displayed in the corner. You know, like mm-hmm. when you turn on CNN and it says CNN nightly news, it would it would literally say like whatever the channel was, you know, CNN 
Russian warship, go fuck yourself was in there like permanent ticker, man. Like, you know, and like things like that. And, you know, this is after we had found out that that was most likely uh, false in the sense that they didn't all die. They were taken capture, but, you know, they did say it. Yo, I tell you what, Ukrainians didn't give a fuck if they didn't actually yeah. die. The fact that they even had the balls to say it meant everything, right? And so there was interesting propaganda inside Ukraine to Ukrainians about how good the war was going, right? And about how much they were doing to beat back the Russians. And then to flip on my phone, right, and watch Zelensky press talks to outside of Ukraine. It was like, the Russians are here. We need your help. This is the diary of democracy. And, you know, if you don't help right. us today, there might not be a Ukraine tomorrow. And like, right. the, uh, I don't know, the power of seeing the propaganda, like literally just one source, boom, two ways. And it was like, it was a, I don't know if it was eye-opening, but back to your question, Owen, like how tied in I was, we got a lot of information on the ground uh, from other parts of the country through their network, right? And we were tying that in with uh, a bunch of different signal groups I was in with other people who were sporadically throughout the country or, you know, watching things inside the country, who had people inside the country uh, relaying information. Um so we were really tied in, I felt. Uh, we knew really confidently like what the lines at each at each border crossing were, you know, what like bridges and things were destroyed in and around the country for logistics transports and things like that. And then also like one of the bigger things was like what they actually needed on the ground was um was huge. Um if you remember there was like that firefight outside the nuclear plant, you know? You guys remember mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the Russians were trying to break into it and they were launching like mortars or rockets and, you know, small arms fire in and around these nuclear facility, whatever, um, which, you know, at the same time, like propaganda next day was like, well, they weren't really shooting at the actual nuclear site. That was a training site. And it's like, yo, I don't give a fuck, man. I don't <laughs> want rockets and mortars anywhere near really... a nuclear facility. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not yeah. a good idea. I'd well, be like, that would be like, you know, San, the San Clemente nuclear facility and just putting an impact area on the other side of I-5. For like, real. Yeah, yeah. People were like, what's the big deal, man? It was a training facility. Like I had Americans on my post because I made a post about that where the next day sirens were still going off and we had to, uh, <clears throat> we had to get into the militia's ass a little bit. They didn't want to train. They were like worried. The sirens go off. We're doing some training. And they're like, they start to bring out their phones. They start like getting skitsish, and they start like, like, like hitting each other. And I'm like, I'm like giving like a period of instruction, right? And I'm like, hey, hey, what the fuck are you doing, man? I was like, you see me freaking out? I've been bombed before many times. I've heard sirens many times. Unless we start to hear impacts, let's get to training. Because guess what? I was like, I'm here because Russians are in your country. I'm not here because Russians are in my country. They are in your country right now. These sirens might be going off all day. They might be going off for weeks. We need to keep training. And um, yeah, set a little fire and, you know, put them back into training mode. But um, yeah, I had this video of me walking around this park where these sirens are going off, you know, and <clears throat> talked about like the previous night, you know, laying in bed at like 1 a.m. trying to go to sleep with with sirens outside, man, because it's a fucking battle at a nuclear facility. Not too right. far, man. And it was it was not too far. Well, it was I, like... I, I, I think what you were experiencing, I mean, if we go back to the beginnings of Iraq or Afghanistan or any other place we've been, a conflict zone, there is this uh, 
progression that happens in the population where the, when the war starts, mm-hmm. it's new to them. And right. they're, they're, uh, every little thing that is an indicator of, of danger. A th- a they, danger yeah, yeah, their fight or flight system kicks off and they start to panic. But then you start to see after a couple, you know, a year or two, there's, you know, there's bombs landing and people are just driving to the supermarket, you yeah, know? Yep. Yeah. So were you, would you say that there, that what you experienced, because you were there right at the beginning of this pretty much. Right. Uh, that you were kind of seeing the Ukrainian people sort of starting to learn how to adapt to an war environment? I think, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, I think the surrealness of it all was setting in at that time. Like for a bunch of people in the town, right? Like the volunteer network, it was in, you know, like they're full board. We got to get this, get this thing done. Right. But I feel like for a lot of them, it was a, it was a battle that was happening in their country. Right. And that, almost felt like the extent of what it potentially could be. Uh, but for a lot of them, I mean, yeah, you know, like for a lot of them, it was like they understand things were happening in their country, but it's kind of one of those things where you grow to your environment, right? If you get a goldfish, you only goes to the size it can live in the tank. If you're in Ukraine, um, you know, and you're one of these smaller cities and towns and haven't ever left Ukraine potentially, it may feel, you know, like the other side of the world, right? But I think also, I think there are hardened people, right? With, uh, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union, living under Soviet control, 2014. Um, I think there are hardened people uh, than like what would happen in America if all of a sudden we were invaded by Russia, Her, I think, you know? Does that make sense at all? Yeah, yeah, their 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 life's their life's you know not quite as easy as the average American. Yeah. So they're yeah, and and they've lived under the the threat, the umbrella, the threat umbrella of the Soviet Union their entire right. lives. Mm-hmm. And some of them, some like you said, some of these older gentlemen, they lived under the Soviet Union. Right. I mean, they were they were they were adults back in the eighties and nineties under the Soviet Union before it collapsed. So they yeah. like I, I can imagine they're like we are not we are not fucking going back there. Like we are not going back there. I will die before I go back there. And did I you see? Did you see? Did it, you know? see a difference? Did you see a difference between uh, the ad, like how they behaved between sort of the older generation that had lived under the Soviet Union and sort of the younger generation that maybe hadn't experienced that? Did, was there a difference at all? Or noticeable? I don't know. I think I think maybe I would be able to pick more of that up if I was able to converse more easily with them, right? But we had Yuri. Uh, as our only translator for majority of the time. And it wasn't a lot of like just getting around and getting the feel of things. Like a lot of it was like, you know, training oriented or logistics oriented, right? It was like, it was all business. It was like one track focus, man. Yeah, you it was know? all business. It was all business, you know, but I will say that like it did feel like, uh, I don't know, man. It was like so Eastern European, dude. Like, you know, so everybody's wearing um, civilian clothes for the most part that we were training, right? And for the most, I, I mean, let me paint this picture. It started snowing on us in Romania on the way to the border. It did not stop snowing on us until we were halfway through Romania leaving Ukraine, right? Except for like one day, it didn't snow on us. Every single day, it was 28 degrees or less and snowing. It was like, it was hardened earth, man. Um, and these dudes... These dudes come out to the training. I mean, I'm talking like we had him doing, I'm up, he sees me, I'm down drills. We had him, 
uh, movement to contact and, you know, finding micro terrain and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and these dudes were like super motivated in their, you know, their tennis shoes and track suits, man, Pumas and Adidas. That's right. It's, it's all the stereotype is true. <laughs> it's totally true. It couldn't it's be totally any true. more Eastern European, man. It was so fun. And almost everybody was wearing Were, were they black. Were they listening to Ramstein? <laughs> no, all house music, no. man. And so, okay, so, and this is all great. House music, all better. house music, all house music, and this is like cam, this cam is, lights and aviator goggles. This is great, oh man. God. So you know, in America, right? It's almost become like faux pas to have your phone on a ring, right? It's mm, like yeah, yeah. Everybody's phone's on vibrate or silent, right? Yep. No, sir, not there, man. They want to pump that house up when they get a call. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> you know, like we'll be talking or whatever. And, and, um, like, I mean, even at our second military location where we had, it was more like a more organized structure, they had uniforms at least. And we'd be, we'd be talking about, you know, how to find cover behind cars or do a building search or, you know, how to detain, uh, <clears throat> a, um, how to detain procedures and things. And then all of a sudden, and it was like super loud. And like one dude would just like easily go into his breast pocket and be like, hello. And, you know, just carry on the conversation, man. And it's so norm that nobody bats an eye except for like, you know, Mark and I'd be like, this motherfucker, you know, and it's like, it's so the norm, man. How how old is Yuri? Is he... Like he's like he? he's early 30s yeah so he immigrated when he was 21 it's been like 11 years um and so it, let me hit this back to the people we were training real quick like these dudes were were young all the way to like old man dudes that one of the guys reminded me of my my mother's uh fiance who died when i was in high school of als but like his body looked like he was deteriorating and he was old right but uh God give it to him, man. He's out there hooking and jabbing. I'm up, he sees me, I'm down, sprinting through fields, man. It was like, it was inspiring, dude. Um, and these guys, like, a huge majority of them, too, had traveled from outside Ukraine, other parts of Europe, to come back specifically for the war, man. Duty to country, duty to Ukrainian, self. Ukrainian, Ukrainians that had left that are coming back? Yeah. Yeah, like one guy had lived in London for like three years and then was living in Belgium for four. He came back and he was like one of our our sub interpreters because he can speak English pretty well. And it was, uh, yeah. it was surreal, man. You gotta, I just, I don't see, like, I would love to see it, but I don't believe that Americans in the same position will be coming back and doing it, man. You know? Yeah. Well, and I hate I, to I like, think, feel uh, like I'm dragging on Americans the whole time, but the contrast was just so great. You know? Well, I, I well, I think, I think like you said earlier is, is this this last few years, there's been, you know, the the divide within America and all all of that, it, which is sort of an unprecedented level mm. uh, post Civil War. That uh, it's definitely not in living memory. No one in living memory has seen America divide this way. And to go to a country where, you know, because what countries did we go to? We go to Iraq, sectarian violence, Afghanistan, right. sectarian violence, tribal violence. Uh, to, to but to see a country where people sort of unify. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, I'd imagine may, maybe your experience would have been different if you were in the east you know in donbass or something where there's sort of russian loyalists or whatever uh where the russians sort of enjoy support right to some degree but sure. uh but you but, so the area you were in was very pro-ukrainian very anti-russian right there was no yeah so there yeah um 
And there were these mottos, man. So like the town we we're in, the motto of the town was 15,000 people under the same blanket. You know, like that's how tight knit they are. That's their motto of their town, right? And, uh, you know, I'm sure we've heard now, you know, like Slava Ukraini, you know, glory to Sla- or glory to Ukraine and heroes glory, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And if you haven't, there's a call and response, essentially, you know, you, you yell out uh, Slava Ukraini, which is glory to Slava or glory to Ukraine. And the response is uh, hero and Slava, which is glory to heroes, right? And it's like a rally cry, man. Um, and it was really interesting because I was trying to learn, you know, bits and pieces of Ukrainian, try to connect on a personal level while I was there, you know, and I'm still learning some things here. Uh, it's a really beautiful language, actually. Um, but, you know, like whenever we're pumping up the troops or whenever we get there, whenever we get leaving or we change things, I'd yell out, you know, like, you know, Slava Ukraini. And it was like, it's a huge motivator, man. Like you can see heart rates going up and spirits lifted, chest held high, right? And um, it was really interesting because one day, uh, Yuri was talking to a dude from the volunteer network who was one of the lead guys vol- or, uh, running logistics and stuff. And they were like, they were in like a back and forth. And I have, no, I'll be honest, man, the Ukrainian language sounds like you're always mad, right? So we have no idea if they're happy or mad, right? <laughs> and uh, this is like one of the first days I learned this. And I was like, hey, Mark. And I was like, I tapped the guy on his shoulder. And I was like, Slava Ukraini. And he goes, and he just like stopped and stared at me. And then kept talking to Yuri. And I looked back at Mark and I was like, these dudes are heated, you know, like <laughs> if that's what it is. Right. We talked to Yuri later that night and I was like, I was like, man, I, you know, didn't mean to piss off um, so-and-so. And he's like, what? No. He's like, you thought you pissed him off. I was like, yeah. He looked at me like I had interrupted him. And he's like, no, he looked at you and then looked at me and said, I think I'm going to cry, you know? And it was like, it was super oh, cool, yeah. man. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the cultural yeah. differences, the, uh, going back to what, you know, Owen, you were talking about, the cultural differences between the places that we visited, um, you know, secular violence, very, very tribalistic, not a whole lot of sense of nationalism in the sense of um, national unification. And I think that's a huge, huge difference in in the way that this particular conflict is is going to be approached. I mean, obviously, like Zach, you saw all of this unity and and all of this um, all of this patriotism and pride. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that was very different, like for you to witness based upon what we have experienced going to other places where it's just like these people don't give a fuck. They just they literally don't give a shit. Yeah, and they're just like, hey man, if if it's not in it, if I'm not in it for me, then. I don't really give a shit what y'all do over there. Right. Whereas in this situation, you know, I've, I can only imagine. I can only imagine, man. Well, yeah, I sort, I sort of wonder at times uh, the the value of a people that has had to gain its independence. Yeah. Right. And, in recent uh, like memory, a, right? Yeah, yeah. In living memory yeah. or very close to living memory, or sort of current the generation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and you know, like America up until. You know, for a long time, America, you know, all up to World War II was, you know, had this identity where we, we gained our independence. We are an independent people. We will not be lorded over by uh, anyone. And uh, it sounds like that's very much still alive in Ukraine. Yeah. I think there's a renewed sense of like, 
Um, and I say renewed as in like post 2014, right? Everybody knows they have a ton of issues, right? That's no secret. Tons of countries do. Um, and, you know, I think by now everybody knows that one of the reasons they weren't, you know, accepted into NATO were their uh, past histories of um, corruption, corruption and, you know, like influence. Right. But I think a lot of that is. I don't know. I personally think a lot of that is on its way out. You know, it's just one of those like lingering things. I was going to say, uh, so my opinion, uh, not that I, you know, followed Ukraine closely or got into the details with it, but uh, sort of my latent opinion of Ukraine was just the, the corruption. I, I, I knew some Cra- uh, Ukrainians that had come to the United States and, you know, uh, they were very pro-West and, and very anti-Soviet Union and anti-Russia. Mm-hmm. But uh, right. but they talked constantly of, I, I, remember, I remember going to dinner one night with a Ukrainian back when I was up in Northern Virginia and she tried to bribe the, the waiter and we had to tell her I'm like, no, 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 that things don't work that way here. And she's like, what, mm-hmm. what do you mean? Uh, and, and as we talked, it was essentially uh, everything in Ukraine, you know, this is prior to the war, obviously everything mm-hmm. in Ukraine uh, required a bribe. It's like that was standard protocol down to the down down to going to a restaurant. You know, you go somewhere, you you, you got to throw a little extra in there. The police, everything, everything's you can do everything with a bribe. Uh, it, you know, so the, but uh, it, it but it sounds like maybe with the the current situation, there's like a rallying call, and maybe I mean even Zelensky was best known for his as an actor from some show where he was a teacher and he ranted against the corruption in Ukraine and everything. It was a big problem. But it sounds like that might sort of kind of been put on the way. Like that stuff kind of has gone away. It, it, it's almost like it's sharpening the lines between uh, people have to decide, are you pro-Russia or are you pro-Ukraine now? Like there is no middle ground almost. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. We didn't see any, you know, bribery type stuff. No, like need to give anybody anything. Um, so I can't speak to that. But we were arrested uh, once. Um, and I don't know if, if that was an art, I can't remember if that was an article or not, but yeah, so we were doing some reconnaissance and, uh, we were kind of using speed of security, right. And trying to just be as fast as possible as well as like, we encountered nothing but, but, uh, positive things. Right. Even like there's this funny, uh, there's this delicious bread. Right. And it's like, a it's like a soft risen type bread. Uh, and it's like, it's like, it's, it's interesting. It, it reminds us more of like a pound cake. Right. Mm. Um, and it's called Polynesia. And I promise you that name is butchered, but it's, it's like a, it's like a revered Ukrainian piece. Right. And, um, uh, so, you know, back watching like uh band of brothers, right. They would do the call and response to, uh, potential allied forces to try to make sure they knew who they were. Or they, where they were right and they who won the world sock the world series last year or something right and uh that what they say in ukraine was um <laughs> what's the name of the bread and the person would call out polynesia because it has a letter in it that's not pronounced in russian and so they butcher the the, the oh. pronunciation of it all the time and so it's like this really interesting you know uh totally civilian driven call and response to weed out um 
Intel traders, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what we get well, to. The, so th this is a great uh, question I wanted to get to. Uh, it's because, uh, as everyone knows, Russia is one of the most sophisticated, uh, longest-running countries when it comes to intelligence operations, infiltration, all these things. I mean, going back to the Cold War and even prior to that. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, Ukraine is right on... It's, it's a neighboring state. So there's been decades and decades of, since they separated, uh, of Russia trying to build networks. Uh, and I would imagine that the Russian sort of infiltration into Ukraine is very, very, very deep. Uh, is there any sort of paranoia that sort of occurred that you saw where they're concerned over Russian infiltrators, you know, moles, you could call them? Informants? Yeah, yeah. Well, so I'll tell this story and it kind of wraps up exactly what you're asking. So we went to a neighboring town. Uh, everybody in the town we were in knew who we were walking around freely, you know, no worries at all. We go to a neighboring town and we have our driver, Yuri, Mark, and myself. And um, <clears throat> we're looking for this storage warehouse that the nonprofit we were working with was linking on or was um, locking on. And we were going to go do, you know, eyes on and get routes, some route recon and things to make sure there's no uh, there's nothing that would impede the actual usage of these warehouses, right? And so um, in going to it, uh, the location they gave us for the warehouse was just completely wrong. Like just couldn't have been more in the wrong spot, right? But it happened to be next to uh, train tracks with a strip mall on one side, right? So we parked the car, we get out um, next to the train tracks, and we're looking at the strip mall, just like looking at all the different buildings, trying to figure out if one could be like a transportation facilitator or warehouse manager or something, you know, trying to just to uh, paint a better picture. Uh, we got in the car and we decided to go check the other side of the train tracks. So there's some bigger warehouses over there or there's some warehouses over there. Um, we had a picture of the warehouse though, but it was like a small corner of it. Uh, so it didn't like paint the whole picture of like what it would look like with surrounding area and things. So we drive over the other side of the train tracks. We're looking around this thing. I get out of the car and I'm looking like just stand up, like taking a 360 peek around right they get back in the car and we're driving to leave the town actually it's really funny um we're like yo let's just go to the governor let's go to the mayor uh let's go to the mayor's office and just ask them straight up if they know who this guy is you know um uh, because like the the level of like accommodating us who's who's trying to help them was like that high up everybody wanted to support what we were doing right we're in never town who hasn't heard about what we were doing yet and so we were on our way to the mayor's office, like literally in my Google Maps, playing into my headphones, but I've got a beanie on. And uh, this cop car screams in front of us, uh, lights, sirens blaring, almost slams into the front of our car. And they get out, AKs pointed, off safe, you know, fingers on triggers, um, just barking at us, right? And I'm like, Yuri, what are they saying? And he's like, they're saying get out of the car. But they're, they're pointing at the driver and Yuri. And so Mark and I stay in the back seat. Then they start pointing at us and screaming at us. And I'm like, yo, I'm not about to get killed by a cop in Ukraine. You know, so I got my <laughs> hands up and he's like, get out of the car. And I'm like, English, man, I only speak English. And he's like, you know, yelling at me, get out of the car in uh, Ukrainian. But I'm not trying to make any moves that put me in any type of risk. Right. Uh, and finally, I realized this dude's not going to open the door. It's on me. So I open the door, yanks me out throws us up against the outside of the car, uh, basically in like a stress position, right? So like we're like three feet back, 
chest on the car, hands on top. Uh, meanwhile, my phone is still on Google Maps. And so I have like, turn left, turn <laughs> left for like every 30 seconds this entire duration, right? And um, these guys are freaking out, man. And it's obvious these dudes were definitely not police officers less than a month ago, right? And, um, you know, I'm like, this is how it ends, boys. <laughs> Not to get a schlack lad. How, how was your adrenaline at this point? How was your adrenaline at this point? Were you hitting flight or flight? Like, were you, or were you pretty calm? I was calm, man, because it just is what it is, right? I'm not about to try to fight or flight because that's going to paint us in a worse picture when they're currently in a war zone and martial law, right? Completely within their jurisdiction, just wacky on the side of the road, guarantee it, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm not about to do anything about that. I'm just like, I'm like going through codes in my head, right? And um, so it's these two dudes. One's on like, they got an L-shaped ambush on us essentially, right? And um, they're sitting there just sweating bullets, man. And uh, they're calling over to like random civilians who are watching. They're like, hey, you know, barking at them. And it's obvious what they're saying. They're saying, go in my cop car and get the pair of handcuffs out of my vest, right? And uh, I'm like looking over and you got civilians just rifling through police cars, right? It was surreal man and uh they pulled out a big vest like this and the guy's like yeah yeah and he like brings him the whole vest you know dude he gets the cuffs <sighs> dude gets the cuffs and they put them on two of us and they're waiting for backup and uh it was probably like 15 minutes they're waiting and uh more cops get there and i'm like okay now it's gonna get sorted out you know your shit i was wrong man they put hit cuffs on us all and and uh threw us in four different cop cars uh took us to the station drove our car to the station, searched it there, brought us into the police station, which was like exactly what you'd think about like Eastern European police station, man. Like um, a lazy fan, a lazy fan spinning on the ceiling. Dude, flies. It was rough on the inside, man. It's like poorly painted concrete. And yeah. Like entry paint chipping like, off the walls. And uh, yeah. And uh, this like clearly uh leader comes out you know and i was like hey yuri ask if i can speak man and yuri's like ask if i can speak they're like you know da sure and i'm like hey we are americans here in the next town training soldiers and doing logistic support for your war and they're like yeah we don't believe you and we're like uh, all right good talk man so they brought us, <laughs> this, they brought us this like auditorium and you know it was like more back and forth but essentially like it was like, could give a fuck less about what you're saying right now, man. Yeah, you so this, they, like, basically you're, there, you're, you're being interrogated, basically. The interrogation hadn't started yet. Oh, <laughs> so, okay, okay. I'll, I'll shut up. I'll shut up and listen. <laughs> and so we go to this like auditorium and um, it's clear someone higher had come in, right? These two dudes in civilian uniforms, much more clean and kept, you know, pistols on their hips had rolled in as well as like two senior police officers rolled in. And it was like, took all of our phones. Uh, by the way, mine's still saying turn left in my AirPods. So I'm like, <laughs> Return to the root. Return and I've already got like, I wear hearing aids, right? And so like, I've already got like obstructed hearing. And so I got like some Siri chick barking in my ear, man. It's like, it was hard to concentrate on some things. And so I was like, finally, it was like, Yuri, can you just get them to take the AirPod out of my ear? And so like, go over, take the AirPod out, you know, put it in my pocket. Uh, took all our phones. And we're just continually asking us more questions. Didn't want to hear anything from us. Just wanted to hear from Yuri and just kept asking him questions over and over and over and like the same questions and different ways. And, you know, like the same kind of stuff you'd expect. Right. 
Uh, but Yuri is Yuri's a fucking champ, man. Didn't buckle, didn't didn't have any concerns about it. And we were supposed to meet this dude, the priest, uh, who was supposed to show us where the warehouse was, right? And uh, we couldn't get a hold of him. Tried to call him a couple times when we were still, you know, looking for the warehouse. And so Yuri's telling him, like, hey, we are looking for a priest, man. Here's his name. And they're, um, they uh, were trying to, you know, basically, like, we don't believe you. You know, and mm-hmm. surrendered our phones or had our phones taken from us. And they're, like, walking to each person, like, whose phone is this? And like, yours. And you like, hold it up next to your face. And, like, phone is theirs now, right? Like, what am I going to do, man? I can't, there's no fucking Fourth Amendment in Ukraine. I can't tell you <laughs> you can't search my phone. I have I, rights. <laughs> I'm not going to prison for this, man. You can look at everything I want in there. I don't care. And so uh, it was really funny, though, because my Google Maps was still on, right? And so it had disabled my my face recognition mm. for some reason. And so uh, it wasn't working. And it was really funny. A couple of days prior, when it was super cold, I had my gloves on. I went in to get something on my phone. I, like, used my nose to hit my my uh, passcode, right? And um, Yuri and Mark were laughing their asses off. And so this... Uh, this interrogator dude walks up to me with my phone. He holds it. I'm like, it's not working. And he like looks at it again, and like holds it in front of my face. And I was like, Hey, just, just put it, put it. I'm trying to like motion to him. And I like, put it closer. He puts it like closer. And I'm like pecking at it. Like I'm a bird, man. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of those moments. Do what where you got to like, do, man. It was one of those moments where it's do. like, man, I'm either going to like die here. Right. Or like be able to laugh about this hysterically later, you know? And, um, they finally, this dude walks in, right. And uh, they look at us. They're like, is this your priest? And we're like, we don't know. We've never met him, man. We don't have a picture of him. He's like, so this is not your priest. And we're like, I have no we idea. don't know. We well, have never met him. All we have is his name. And his name to us is priest, right? And um, they look at him and they're like, are you this guy? And he's like, no, no, no. And we're like, <laughs> this is where it ends, man. <laughs> like in my head, I'm like going through his codes, right? I'm like, okay, let me get this straight. I'm either, I'm not, so I'm illegally in the country, essentially, right? You to yeah. enter Ukraine at this point, uh, when I was there, you had to go through your um, Ukrainian embassy in your host nation to get to Ukraine. Right. I technically entered legally, but I was illegally there because that was their rule. It was like you had to uh, go there. For I, I, I refer to call you un- undocumented visitor. Yeah, I mean, an undocumented yeah, visitor. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, in my mind, I was like, here's what's going to happen, right? They're going to say, thanks for being here and release us. They're going to, con- you know, confiscate our passports and conscript us into the foreign legion. Or they're just going to arrest us and put us in prison. I'm like, okay, I'll go fight eating, some Russians. Eat, <laughs> you know, like, beets and eat beets and bread. You know, and so, uh, but, um, like, after this this conversation, they were like, the dude who was doing all the interrogating was like, okay, you know, we believe you. And it was like, ah, you know, obviously interrogation techniques, spoke English the whole time, you know. And, uh, this is about, this is like after an hour of this, you know, in handcuffs the whole time, my handcuffs have gotten tighter because they slammed me in the cop car. They cinched up. Um, and so they took the cuffs off and they're essentially like, Hey, we really appreciate you being here. You know, thank you. Thank you for being here. It really means a lot. Stay out of our fucking town. You know, and it was <laughs> like, that's exactly how it was. And we're like, okay, you know, um, and by the way, when we we're doing all of this, they they broke the key to Mark's pair of handcuffs. And so for like another 15 minutes, when we're all just chilling and talking about, you know, state of affairs, why we're there, whatever. Mark's hanging out next to us, hands behind his back, handcuffs still. <laughs> but um, yeah. what, was the reason, 
What was the reasoning well, to not want you there? Like what was Well, here the, here was the reasoning. So we scared the town people, right? Because we're a bunch of foreigners looking around in their town, put everybody on edge, it. scared them. But and this goes back to your lead-in question earlier, Owen, is um they actually they caught four Russian Russian saboteurs earlier that day in that town. And so here we are, you know, less than 12 hours later, four more foreigners, right? Sure. Uh, and so, um, but I mean, you know, like, so they definitely said, you know, stay out of the town, but they gave us their, the chief of police's number, as well as, uh, the dudes who came in in civilian clothes was their, um, their secret service. I think there was their SB, I believe is what their, their thing is a service viewer or something, but so they're Ukrainian, like national, uh, special police forces. Right. Uh, so those are the dudes that were interrogating us, uh, who gave us their phone numbers for coordination later on if we needed to travel anywhere else or if we got any, in any kind of trouble. So at the end of the day, it was overall, you know, like a positive experience, positive contacts made, but, you know, it was a sweating two hours oh, of, uh, I can't, yeah, where's like, the next part of my life going to be? <laughs> yeah, it's the worst. That's probably the worst feeling of helplessness, you know, that you could have is just to be at the mercy of, of individuals whom you don't understand. You don't understand their intentions. Yeah. Everybody's freaked out. Everybody is trying to make sure that, you know, that you're safe. Ultimately they're trying to make sure that their town's safe and make right. sure that there's, that you're not some Russian saboteur coming in to, mm -hmm. you know, wreak havoc behind the behind the scenes and i mean good on them for doing that and exactly but i mean like you said that just comes like that comes with the territory of doing what you did mm -hmm. yeah. Th those yeah. are the risks that you take when you when you willfully put yourself into that position um i mean with so many things against act against you a language barrier yeah you have a translator but man that's that, that, all you'd have to do is take that translator away and be like, all right, right we're going to separate you two. And, exactly. And, That's what and I was now saying, you know? Well, I, I can say this. So first of all, uh, everyone listening, download Google Translate. That sounds like the greatest app. <laughs> Absolutely. <ever>. Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, if you're traveling overseas, sec secondly, how, how valuable was Sear School? For real. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was really it was, funny too. So like, it wasn't only like, how do I get out of this situation, right? Cause it was very much like we've all seen like locked up abroad and shows, right? Mm. A lot of times those dudes just got mixed up with somebody. They had no idea who they were. Right. Exactly. So we yeah. have a Ukrainian driver doing the driving, Right. And it's illegal to have guns in Ukraine. It's, well, it's not legal. It's very, very er, to carry. It's very, very tough to get like a concealed carry license. Right. So, but also it's in the middle of a war. Right. And so a lot of dudes we were interacting with were carrying guns. Right. And so, um, and there's a lot of drugs. We didn't see any drugs, but there was this like big graffiti sign uh, that essentially meant like, here's the local drug dealer, his contact stuff, right? It was just, like very ornate uh, graffiti tag, right? That was like really easy to recognize. <clears throat> that was like the drug dealers in the area. And so like, you know, there's drugs around, right? Like any country. Uh, but like when I'm in the back of that cop car, knowing that my life now resides on you know, the other four yeah. people that we got or the other three people that we were with, I'm like, I fucking hope that driver doesn't have a gun or drugs, man. You right. know? And I mean, yeah. like, you know, if you had a gun, I can't say anything against that. It's a war zone, right? But I'm just hoping this moment he didn't. And it turns out he didn't. And they rifled through the car, like, you know, pretty solidly. And all they found was a ton of medical supplies. Um, and, you know, like, 
Yeah, yeah I'll, 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 be, I'll be honest. Uh, again, because you're in an environment where you're dealing with sophisticated, uh, like the Russians are sophisticated. Like they're covert operations. They know what they're doing. Right. Uh, and the Ukrainians are used to that. Like they're, they're probably paranoid as hell. Uh, and I'll be honest. Uh, that's why I asked you, you know, like, were you firing off your sympathetic nervous system? Were you like shaking? Were you nervous? No. Uh, the fact that, the fact <laughs> that you were calm, that probably made them more suspicious. I'm like, why? That's I got this exactly dude. I got this dude. what I was thinking yeah. too, man. Yeah, I was this super dude, calm. This like, dude. I was like, hey, when he was like barking at me, I was like, you need to open the door for me. You yeah. know? And like, I'm I'd sure a, they're not a, used to that kind I'd of I'd have rolled, I'd have rolled thing. you up and put in your stress position too. I'll be honest. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for sure. You know, like, a, a lot of this stuff that we have, like we talk about, man, like people have to take a solid step back and ask themselves, what would, what would our country look like if it was yeah. subjected to the same thing? You, you know, like it would be, it would probably be chaos. Um, I probably, I would be, I'd be willing to bet that it was, that it would be even more chaotic than what is happening in Ukraine at this moment, just because of how fractured, um, everything is here as a, as a nation. Um, you would definitely have your sects. You would definitely have your groups, um, which would turn into tribalistic. I mean, I, I, f I feel as though that we would most likely, uh, you know, um, digress into a very tribalistic, uh, environment. Yeah, we already are. We, we already are in a lot of ways, but now just imagine throw in survive, like literal true survival into the mix because that's exactly what's happening in that country right now. People are truly in survival mode. They're trying to find food. They're trying to find water. They're trying to find medical supplies. They're trying to find shelter for their families. And that is survival mode. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's, some, know, there's so. something to be said when you, when you take a human being in there, because uh, Ukraine was a, was a pretty modern country. Uh, I mean, they, you can enjoy a lot of things over there. Uh, it's mm -hmm. not like you're going, it's not like you're going into, you know, the Congo when you, when you go to the Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, uh, but so people were enjoying sort of a, a very modern, pretty much first world lifestyle there. Mm -hmm. And oh, for sure. then they're sudden, then they're plummeted into a war zone. Yeah. And, and when you take someone on the sort of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, when suddenly their big concern was, do I have cell service? Uh, and, and, and a more salient point is their opinion on Russia. Yeah. Uh, and there are probably a lot of Ukrainians that are like, ah, I don't even really care about it. I got my job. I got my family. I'm doing my thing. I, you know, I have an opinion on Russian sort of uh, influence in our country. We're pro-West. We're pro-Russia. And that's why I kept coming back to like now. Uh, those sort of people that were sort of these moderates that were sort of me undecided, they don't really care. Uh, that sort of thing in war zones is not permitted. It's, uh, you know, uh, you get forced very quickly into, you've got to decide which side you're on. It, like you just talked about the paranoia that occurs. Um, if, 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 if you go and say, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really have an opinion on whether or not we should be ruled by Russia or not. You go, yeah, you know that's not permitted now. Like, if you're, <laughs> you're right. probably gonna get shot for that. Yeah, like no, no, right. like yeah, that was okay. That was okay last year, but now uh, you better not be having that opinion. Like you have to decide. Uh, and well, uh, I'm interested to see sort of uh, on a, on a social level, you know, more than the 
sort of politics and, and the international relations is, is on the human scale, the average person and the changes they're going through in Ukraine, because that's what you were experiencing. You were experiencing real people. Mm-hmm. You weren't looking over, you know, diagnostic and, and analysis of international relations. Like you're, you're just like, you're dealing with people, people that right. suddenly got thrust into a war and, and now they've got to choose like your old life is gone now. Mm-hmm. Like right now, either you contribute to the war uh, and you try to fight for your own existence or you get the hell out of there or what? Like, I mean, like the decisions these people have to make in Ukraine, it's insane. Yeah. Like they've been so, thrust into this. It, it's really interesting you say that because today there's a, a news story or report or whatever that I had, er, had heard earlier that um, Ukrainian police are going, or military, I have no idea which, are going through and arresting people who have posted pro-Russian memes, you know? And so it's interesting, Damn. you know, it's Damn. like, okay, they're in yeah. wartime, right? But it's a meme, it's, you know, it's and a, it's free yeah. speech well, and it's like, they're in wartime, you know? And that, who knows? Like I would much, I would probably bet that someone who's going to post a pro-Russian meme is more likely to side with Russia than someone who hasn't posted it. For sure. Right. For sure. Absolutely. And absolutely. Uh, yeah. But well, not very, yeah, not very smart. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like things like that. It's just like, that's, you don't get ballsy when, when, when situations like that don't come around, you know, it's not like you're going to go start at least my, for myself. I'm just be like, no, yeah, this is, this is not the time to become a, yeah. uh, a controversial media star. Exactly. In we're yeah. not trying to fucking, we're not trying right. to be Instagram personalities. And shit. Unless cool. you're Zelensky. Then yeah, you're a, then you're a social media rock star. Well, you know what's really funny is one of the uh, the region governors, which are essentially like our states, right? One of the region governors was like just did the same thing that Zelensky's doing, right? Like he's just hitting social media hard, trying to raise awareness and lift spirits. But this dude is like bombastic, man. He's like his his social media posts are like super offensive. Like, he's a Trump. Really he's a Ukrainian Trump. It, it was a. Uh, it was wild, man, to see like, you know, this, you know, state leader coming out and just like slamming down dudes and opinions and, you know, whatever. But, um, Kayla, it's interesting. Like what you're saying is, uh, we'd be more fractured, right? Um, mm. well, there are some people who were arguing like for crazy things when I was there on my, on my Instagram page. And I'm not a huge, you know, like I'll go and block people don't agree with me, but I'm going to block somebody who's just spouting some straight bullshit, you know? Yeah, yeah. And these dudes were like American. Some were like prior military members who were like, oh, can't believe you've been fed a lie. You actually even see any combat over there and all this stuff's not really happening. And it's like, it's so crazy that here is really what it boiled down to. Right. And it's like, um, it's like people don't trust the media, right, or government so much that they believe that if the media or government says anything, it's obviously a false narrative or something, right? And it's right. like, yo, man, like, you know, you got to kind of see the good and bad and everything, right? For and it's sure. like, absolutely. You know, when I got back and I wrote that article, uh, it got picked up by CNN and MSNBC. Uh, and I went on CNN three or four times, MSNBC a couple, and then a Canadian TV network and a couple of radio stations, right? And, um, you know, I wasn't seeking anything out of it, but I was raising awareness for our nonprofit that we had set up to do this kind of thing. Uh, and it actually, it raised tons of funds. And it was 
really good, you know, and like we, uh, our team just got back from their second uh, push over there and they had, uh, they were ended up being able to buy 400 full sets of uniforms for these dudes with, you know, uh, undershirts and boot socks and everything, you know, like full military attire, you know, which I think just is going to boost their spirits, if anything else, right? Boost their level of like professionalism mentally, you know? Um, Agreed. As well as we bought like, I think 300 plate carriers with front and back uh, body armor uh, and plates, as well as um, like a bunch of uh, IFAX team medical kits as well. Uh, and like hundreds and hundreds of tourniquets, you know, cat twos. But um, uh, in doing those shows, you know, I was like thinking of my friend, like I have, I have friends who are like, oh, if, if the media said it, it's obviously true. If it's obviously false, you know, I'm like, yo, I was on CNN, you know, <laughs> am I obviously right? false now? All right. Are you yeah, not, a, not believing anything I said? That's a great point because everything has context. Right. Everything has context. Everything and we we had this conversation on a on a previous podcast um, about perspective, mm-hmm. and I think um, why it is so difficult for people to truly embrace another perspective is in order for you to do that you have to abandon your current perspective in its entirety in order for you to witness another one without bias, and that is absolutely terrifying to the majority of of humans yeah. i think in general yeah, it is. It is. it's mm-hmm. because because now once you abandon that perspective that you once thought was you know de facto and and full of truth and uh, objective truth or personal truth and and now you go okay in order for me to see this other point of view i have to i have to let that that part of of what i believe to be true go away and right. that's terrifying because in your brain your your psyche says, oh shit, what happens if I actually see that perspective over there and and there's truth to it? What what happens then? Now now my identity is lost. Now now what I thought was was really real and true mm-hmm. is no longer valid. And that is absolutely terrifying to the psyche. Well, yeah, and I and I and I'll say uh I did meet somebody that uh I was talking to about Ukraine and and everything and uh they sort of had this opinion uh, and this is sort of an american luxury at this point because we're so sort of secure even though it might not feel like it we're pretty damn secure and uh you have the luxury of just formulating a worldview based on youtube videos and recommendations that you get and the social media things you follow Mm -hmm. and uh because you're not faced with it in your real life your real life is going to your job, going to Starbucks, whatever you do, watching Netflix or whatever. And then that's your real life. But then you formulate these world opinions based on the media and, uh, and, and, and people just get caught up in this. And he he was saying, he's like, yeah, well, you know, this guy's opinion was that Russia, uh, was holding off this sort of QAnon, cult of corrupt whatever conspiracy theory thing uh and so he sort of was like yeah well russia's just kind of just fighting off the this this crazy thing mm-hmm. and i'm like that it sounds so crazy to me 
uh, and, and you compare that opinion that someone has here in America to what you experience, Zach, where you're on the ground there. Right. And there's there's none of this nonsense. It's it's uh, it's human beings, uh, human beings that are just living their life, little shops, uh, close knit communities, and they're being brutalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at look at look at Buka, the just the yeah. war crimes and stuff happening there. It's in, it's insane. And, and for someone to sit here and just sort of blow it off with because of some conspiracy they built up online, say, come on, man, like the there's people suffering. These people are suffering over there. Yeah. Well, you know, like to paint, like how extensive that is, right? Um, you know, there's all these like different aspects that are well known. So I won't go into any of those. But one of the things that we encountered personally was through this, you know, logistics signal chat uh, that we were in, there was this uh, orphanage in the east that had basically been abandoned. And it was full of these, uh, like, uh, disabled children. And a lot of them were, like, bedridden. Uh, a lot of them had, like, neuro issues where they were, you know, not able to, to care, move, or do anything for themselves at all. And um, that, was, uh, that was, like, a tough thing, you know? I was trying to coordinate some, some push over there to that area to <clears throat> validate that orphanage or to extract those kids somehow. And there was just, there was no way, man, it was crazy. It's, uh, you know, there was just no safe passage at that time, you know, and I don't believe there's safe passage currently, but, you know, we've heard, you know, throughout the weeks that the Russians are allowing this safe passage, but then speaking to other people, like, you know, they're mowing down people or something, you know? So yeah, they had this like, this uh, orphanage, which has like no military advantage, right? The only advantage it has is to demoralize your enemy for the Russians, right? And they're just using that so wildly and um, demoralizing. I think they're demoralizing the Ukrainians by just keeping on with this narrative of the denazification and, and um, you know, getting rid of this QAnon and, and whatever else they're going about because it's like, you know, no one's going into Ukraine to help, right? Militaries wise. Um, and I think that is very demoralizing to the people. But then when you have nobody going in and you're also being told, right? Like your country is full of a bunch of Nazis, but then you're also seeing no one go in. I feel like there's got to be some level of like, yo, is this true? You know, like, is this what is actually happening in some sect that I'm not aware of in this, some area I'm not aware did, of or right. something? Did some you, part did of you, the government? Did, did you get the sense that Ukrainians were sort of struggling with that? Uh, I don't know. You know, so like, again, I was there early, right? And so it was one of those things where it's like, you call a kid a nerd on the playground once, it's not a big deal. That kid gets called a nerd or you know, worse, right? For two months straight, three months straight, it's going to have an issue on a psyche, right? So when we were there, it was just like, I can't believe these morons are saying this, right? But I mean, think about it, man. The war's been going on for what, two months now? And and uh, and no one is actually coming into Ukraine to help, you know? And it's well, like, it's got to be. Speak, speak a lie loudly and long enough and people start to believe it. Yeah. Uh, right? I'd, I'd, be, I'd be interested to... Uh... To know if, uh, you know, if any of, that's why I was asking earlier, if, you know, the information streams coming into the average Ukrainian, is mm-hmm. it, are they even watching the sort of, the stuff we watch here in America, 
the CNN, the the whatever BBC sort of narratives, or are they just because uh, I know when we were in Iraq and Afghanistan, like when I was deployed yeah. to those places, um, I was oblivious to the media's portrayal of anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had information streams about what was actually happening, uh, and right. when I would come back and I would see how it was portrayed, I'm like, that is very different, you know. Right. Very different things. Uh, and you were there and it's, and you were tied into the, and it sounded like when I asked this earlier that, uh, it sounded like the Ukrainians have a good network where they're, they're getting information and intelligence on the ground. They're sharing it. Uh, their opinions are based on information streams that they've built through local networks Yeah. and not, and not the, the narratives that are being sort of passed around and bantied around in the media. Is yeah, that... that is what it feels like. It feels like there was a lot of um, like on the ground coverage that was getting passed around on social media to everybody through WhatsApp and Telegram and, and Instagram. Um, it feels like that's how a lot of people in Ukraine, at least people that I, re- I was interacting with, are getting their information as well as, you know, like watching the the uh, the news about it. Um, I don't know. It doesn't really feel like there was a lot of uh, like BBC, CNN type learning but they definitely knew what was going on right uh they knew like externally feelings toward the issue and the conflict um and when i would ask these people like random people would run into you know like what can i do to help what how can i you know tell my support structure to help you every time man close the skies every time and it's like well that's not gonna happen what's next (laughs) you know give me something uh achievable but you know and it's like and they all like when you say close the, when you when you say close the skies they were, yeah, they were yeah, saying yeah. you know get rid of the russian high-flying jets that are dropping bombs is what you're saying yeah they were talking about putting in the um the no-fly zone right which right. i guess it just feels like the world decided that would be too much to push russia and not to back him into a corner for a nuclear. Well, yeah. Well, so right? let me let me, I, I do i would like to to step in for the listeners um uh on this uh there was a big discussion in America about uh, Ukraine asking for MIGs and and other lethal assets that uh, that was denied and and it turned into this it got filtered through the the sectarian sort of divide in America uh, and it was all nonsense. Uh, the rea- the reality is the United States, regardless of what you think of this administration. Or the previous one, uh, both are fully engaged and supportive of Ukraine. Like they're they're like uh, I I would hope that that Ukraine is a unifying uh, idea for this divide in America uh, because politically it is, and the 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 reason that we are careful about what we give Ukraine is because they are a sovereign country. And if we give them something that allows them to strike Moscow, that could start world war three. So when we give them, uh, you know, we, we, we do want to give them the ability to strike, you know, high flying fixed wing aircraft and everything. But we don't want to give them something that they could then use to go bomb Moscow and try to kill Putin. Because that will trigger uh, a reorganization of how Putin's fighting this war. And it would start 
potentially a, a extinction event, so to speak, a World War III sort of thing. And that and that's a very serious thing that has to be considered all the time in national security. And and so when, when people listen to the discussion in the news about what we're trying to provide Ukraine, we are we will always and will and have been providing Ukraine with any technology, the Javelin or the, you know, Europe's running the Neptune, uh, anti-naval stuff. We're providing them weapons that will defeat Russian uh, superiority in their Navy, in their Air Force. But we have to be very careful not to give Ukraine something that they could just decide tomorrow to go drop a bomb in Moscow. And then suddenly Putin decides he's using tactical nukes. And because uh, the threat of tactical nukes, which Russia has, is, is very real. It's and super so real. It's super real. In fact, I talked to some people that, that, thought, that were uh, convinced that before May 9th, Victory Day in Russia, because of the drastic failure of Russia in Ukraine, that he might use a tactical nuke in the southeast around Mariupol and those sorts of regions because the fallout wouldn't reach Europe. And uh, because of the fallout of any tactical use reached Europe, that would be an escalation and everything. But but the the situation had shaped itself to the point where the UN UN had resolved and NATO had resolved that if, if any nuclear weapons were used in Ukraine and the fallout reached Europe, it was considered a nuclear attack mm-hmm. on Europe. Right. Uh, so the thought was, well, that leaves the door open for, Ru- uh, for Russia and Putin to use a tactical nuke, a smaller nuke in southeast Ukraine, like Mariupol and, and everything else, where the fallout wouldn't reach uh, Europe and would allow them to have victory for May 9th. Uh, so May 9th was like this is, is like this big thing. Everybody's wondering what what how how can Putin because the idea was that Putin expected to have victories, uh, some sort of victory he could celebrate on May 9th, and he hasn't had any. Uh, so what is he going to do to ensure that he can give his legacy? There, I mean, there's reports out now that he's got cancer and he's going for surgery and everything. He's sort of so he's at the end of his life. And uh, and he wants to have this legacy, and uh, sort of sort of the, a madness takes over to secure some sure. sort of legacy. Right. Uh, and, you know, and we don't know about the cancer thing. That's still we're still waiting on if that's true or not. Mm-hmm. But there's there's reports now that he might have terminal cancer, and yeah. uh, and that he's sort of going after this legacy end of life sort of making his life meaningful sort of thing. That's really what it felt like when we were there was like, it felt like a, you know, just a crazy fucking dude trying to reunify the Soviet Union, you know? And it's like, yeah, I feel like a lot of things led to this, right? You could feel, and the same thing you were talking about, Kalen earlier with, uh, or maybe it was Owen talking about, um, China watching and waiting oh, to, that was Owen. Right, right, right. That's right. Talking about like what they were going to do then for, uh, Taiwan, you know, like people don't understand that they're not just watching uh, Russia and Ukraine. They're watching everyone else's response to it. You know, yeah, like yeah, everyone yeah. saw yep. America's Everybody's... response in Afghanistan. And, you know, and it's just <clears throat> there's a lot of dominoes that fell to get to this point where it was like, man, now seems opportune, you know, that's and that's another thing that that we have to look at and we have to identify like like the history 
history will repeat itself if yeah. left unchecked and unlearned. And, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing the same thing right now as, as countries become emboldened by, you know, a perceived lack of response or a perceived lack of support, you know, these are, I mean, it's, it is kind of scary times in the geopolitical sense. And I will, I will say this, uh, you know, because a lot of Americans and a lot of listeners probably, uh, hearing this are looking at and, and interpreting things through the lens of the last few years, the craziness here in America, the 2020 election, all these things, uh, very, very troubling times for the, the sort of any, any, any American trying to make sense of things. Uh, this is something different. What we're talking about when we talk about Russia and, and China and it, like these things transcend our current domestic social arguments. Like uh, the fact that um, Russia was able to take Crimea, the fact that Russia was able to uh, do what it did in Georgia. Uh, the fact that Russia was able to go into the Donbass um, and, mm-hmm. and and didn't see a a major definitive response that pushed them out, right? Gave, that that gave Syria Russia. Well, well we, we we did sort of kick their ass in Syria. <laughs> we did we did we did some damage to them in Syria, but uh, but really Crimea, Donbass, uh, Georgia. Those were sort of the signals that went into this complicated international calculation that, right. you know, uh, that, that they do at that level that allowed them to think that now was the right time where they could pull off a, an annex of Ukraine. Like yeah. they, there were signals and things that went into their calculations uh, that allowed right. this. And, uh, and that, that, that just... goes back that goes back long before. And it's not uh, just lunacy, right? It's not just lunacy. No, it's not they're very just, calculated. Yeah, it's they're they're not crazy. Are, yes, exactly. Uh, in fact, in fact, one of the the opinions that I'd heard talking to a guy uh, early when the war first started was that the whole thing with the attack on Kiev was really not because Putin thought he could take Kiev. It was sort of a a, a feint, you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, on Kiev to give him bar, but really what he wanted was the land bridge, uh, the Southeast land bridge that connects Crimea to Russia. Right. And, um, and that by attacking Kiev, that he could drive, uh, Ukraine onto a negotiating table and then essentially say, okay, I'll stop it. I'll stop trying to take over your country completely. Um, but you got to let me keep the Southeast corridor. Right. And 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 then when that didn't work and it turns out that it wasn't a bartering chip because Ukraine didn't need to barter that because they felt like they could stop Russia from doing that. Thank thank you, Javelin. But uh, right. uh, shout, uh, out yeah, shout out yeah, to Javelin. I want to say I was the first Javelin unit in the United States military back in 3-7. <laughs> but uh, uh, but anyway, uh, it, it turns out like the failure of that um, is what's led to this sort of instability that Putin's having, which is his plan didn't work out and his contingencies aren't working out. And now it's like he's resorting to, OK, the ultimate objective was to secure the southeast corridor and key areas right. like Mariupol and places had to be secured to connect Crimea to, to Russia. 
And uh, obviously that's what they're doing now. Like they're focusing on that. And I'll say and, that, I'll say that the feelings on the ground, um, it's not like there's no feelings of what happens if we don't win. It's we will win. And it just, mm -hmm. you know, when is it going to be? And I feel like with that sentiment, I don't feel like there's any feelings that they're going to give up any of these contested regions. That, oh, that's you know? exactly what I want to ask you that. Because exactly yeah. what I wanted to ask you was, um, and I was sorry, I was long winded about that. But uh, it's all good. If, if it, because uh, Mary Pearl's not looking good. Right. It, it looks like Russia might take it. Russia might be able to secure the Southeast corridor for now. What did, uh, what is your opinion on the Ukrainian citizens view of that? W would they be willing to just like, okay, give up the Southeast corridor No. and, and then, and then the war can end and we go back to our lives or they're like, no, we're going to fucking fight for every inch of our country. Yeah. So, forever. yeah. So I'll talk about the civilians viewpoint on it and the military viewpoint on it. So um, civilians viewpoint on it is like, not at all. Not only are they going to, you know, expel the Russians, but they're going to retake Crimea and reunify uh, those two contested regions in the Donbass region. Right. Um, and that's just like not even a bargaining chip. It's not even a question of it's this is going to happen now. Right. And um, the military side of it is the same. The military side is very much the same, uh, but it was to show like how far the war was reaching. Cause a lot of people, you know, listening or in Ukraine or, you know, all over may think that the war is in the East of Ukraine in the capital of the North. Right. And like, that's, that's, that's where the war is. Right. But there was one day in particular, we dealt with two of the commanders um, with these militias. And in that one day, there were four soldiers killed from their units uh, in the front who were from that town we were in. So they had to spend that, that day going and notifying, you know, four families <clears throat> whose kids mm -hmm. all died in the, uh, in the fight, you know? Um, and so like, it's hugely reaching, you know, like the fight is, you know, all the way on the other side of the country, but they're losing people. But, you know, like in one day, there were four people from that one town. Right. Um, so they're feeling it. Like even in the area you were in, it. like the, they're feeling the impacts of the fight, even on the east, even in Donbass, they're feeling it. Yep. It's and not, there was a, they, yeah. There was a military commander we had um, who was going to take us to do some training uh, one day and um, then couldn't because a good friend of his colleague, you know, military commander in a different town, uh, was driving outside Kiev in a civilian car and the car was bombed and then opened fire upon. Um, yeah. And so he had to go up. Apparently the dude lived, but uh, he was in the hospital. The guy had to go and, you know, encourage the guy or something. I'm not sure. It was, it was weird. It was weird talk, man, because it was like, you know, thinking Iraq and Afghanistan, one of our guys gets gets hurt, right? Especially a commander. Is there another commander going to go to the hospital or something and make sure the dude's okay? And it doesn't feel like it. You know, he doesn't feel like he's going to step away from his troops. But I think that goes to like how far reaching the war is, you know, um, but I don't feel there's any sense of like just give Russia what they want to not conquer us anymore because, and this is what I'll say is that when I kept saying, no, we can't close the skies, right? They kept saying, but you said you would protect us if this ever happened. Right. And it yeah. was like, sure shit. You know, like you are absolutely correct in that. Were, were people saying that to you? 
Absolutely. So, yes. so this is interesting because uh, when someone says that to you, that means that how, when they look at you, that you might be the only American they've ever met. Right. You literally represent the United States to that person. Yes, absolutely. Not not Joe Biden, not Donald Trump, not like Zach represents the entire United States of America, and they put in everything that in, right that moment, in that moment. In that moment, you are the the scapegoat. You are you are everything the United States has ever done. Whether you knew what the United States did or not, uh, mm-hmm. you represent that. And you're yeah. also on the and you're also on the rece- you're on the receiving end of whatever uh, emotion that comes along yeah. with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and a lot of it was positive, right? But then uh, some of it was like, you you said this was never going to happen, right? That's why we gave <laughs> yeah. up all of our nukes, you know, in the early nineties. Yeah. That is oh, why we did X, Y, and Z. Is you said you would help if this ever happened, and you're like. Yeah, that's right. I can't say yeah. shit against that. It's, it's like, it's like you know what? You, you know what? It, it's like, you're like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to pull up my phone right now. I'm going to call. I'm call. I'm calling Biden. He needs to yep. hear this. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, right uh, now. Uh, but you just yeah. got, you just got to, you know, what can you do? You just got to hear it. You're like yep. a therapist at that point. Yeah. You're you just like, got to yeah. like, yeah, commiserate with them on. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. You know, I'm here now though. What can we do? Yeah. Right? yeah. What, yeah. what can I do? You You need to witness them. Yeah, they need to be witnessed. Not and, 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 in, in any yeah, other and every, way, and everything they're thinking and feeling is justified and expected. Yeah. Like, of course, yep. these people are going to feel this way. And and I felt this way when I was deployed to areas, and I felt you know people did the same thing to me, and I'm sure with both all of us when we were deployed, mm-hmm. they do yeah. that same thing. And uh, I, I like I never got defensive. Right. I, I I you know I, I was like, and yeah, what are you going to like, do? Like, what are you yeah, going to well, do? Well, and I, I was like exactly like you guys said. I was like, "Hey, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I apologize, but I'm here now. What can I do?" Yeah, uh, I, 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 uh, I failed you in the ways you expected, but I'm here now. Let's. What can I do for you right now? Like yeah. that's that's all you can go to. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. Man. No, go ahead. No, I'm just, it's just this, this whole conversation, um, this whole conversation has been super interesting, uh, just to see a different, just to see your perspective and to see, you know, um, what, what, what did you experience when you went there? You went there with a background in, uh, you know, in, in combat, you, 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 you went there with a background of combat leadership with the intention of, doing the best that you could to, to train, um, facilitate the equipping of, and, uh, you know, assist this, this conscripted fighting force that is truly fighting for their very, their very existence. That is, I mean, dude, that's powerful. That's super, super powerful. And it's so vastly different from what we all experienced in our, you know, in our, um, in our previous lives. Yeah dealing with those things. And now you're seeing a very, you're seeing a very developed nation with, um, a developed infrastructure. You know, obviously there's corruption, there's, there's massive corruption, no matter where you are in any society. Right. However, it's a, it's a, it's a first world country, just just like Mm -hmm. what Owen stated. And, and to witness this stuff happening in a first world country and to witness, um, you know, 
uh, burning tank hulks and blown apart human bodies all over streets to, to who's going to clean that up? Mm-hmm. Who cleans that up? Right. Who, who, you know, there's always the war cries and like, ah, you know, we're going to go do this and nationalism, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, yeah, bro, until you start seeing that. So you start seeing that on your streets. Like, yeah, that's a, yeah. you know, this stuff's not pretty. It's yeah. not pretty. Well, it's it was savage. Really- it was really interesting. We we're training the, we started training the TDU, the Militia Territorial Defense Force and Unit, depending on who you talk to. Uh, we started training them in medical supplies, right, medical gear and TCCC type mm-hmm. stuff, you know. Uh, and it was really interesting because where we have always been trained to that golden hour, right? Yeah. And if you get that golden hour, it's looking you're good. Yeah. Dude, there's no extract, man. There's, there's no, no extract. There's, there's no, no higher echelon of care for them. There's right? nothing. No. There's, there, there's, there's, yeah. there's no Balboa. There's and no, so it was really yeah. interesting. Like yeah. when we're doing that, we're going through it, you know, I'm like, um, we had a bounding and I was like, you know, we're running through some drills and I was like, you need to go and pick him up. And the guy looks at me and he's like, for what? And I'm like, cause he just got shot. You know, you got to pick him up and, and move him off the X. And he looks at me and he's like, uh, if he got shot, he's going to die. And I was like, well, he doesn't have to, you know, I, we got medical equipment and supplies. We don't have to do this, man. <laughs> wow. Wow. Dude. And he's it's like, crazy. The difference goes, in mentality. Just, dude, he's like, um, it was just such an acceptance of like, you know, we are going to fight and most likely die for this cause. And we're signing up full force, man. Well, uh, you know, at, at some point I got to say it, it's, a, uh, it's amazing that you're there trying to elevate their capabilities right? and, and say like, no, no, here's some things you can do to save that guy. Exactly. We don't leave us. We don't leave someone behind like yeah. they, but, but there's also something admirable. They're like, Hey, we're all going to die. Like we're, we're just, we're doing this assuming we're going to die. And yeah. it, it was his turn. Like he died and I'm going to probably die too, but we're doing it anyway. Like there's something like medal of honor about that. Well, it's interesting because I'm working with a uh, company right now. Um, it's uh, using an app for this like intro based training that they don't have access to. Like we're giving them all kinds of end laws and stingers and jabs and, you know, switchblade drones and all these advanced weaponry, right? With no training, mm-hmm. you know, we're just right. flooding the country and we're like, hey, use it. And they're like, oh, fucking how? Right. And so what we're finding is a lot of them have training. Um, with like YouTube videos they're sharing, Instagram videos. There's a Ukrainian yeah, all, song. All it's TikTok. TikTok, man. Yeah, like, and it's crazy yeah. stuff. All, all, so, all insecure stuff, though. Like, and so what we're doing is like um, we are taking like a lot of these like, you know, in the open training things yeah. and facilitating it into an app uh, where we can send it out to the ter- ter- territorial defense unit uh, to these dudes to like, get a fighting chance with the equipment, there, right? Dude. How, but what we're really a, finding out... No, go ahead. Zach, is there any way that we can participate in that to assist? Yeah, the, for sure. On the it, on the reconnaissance and the sniper side of the house? Yeah, so um, if anybody wants to go and volunteer, civilian volunteer, medical vol- or military volunteer, um, as well as like um, any type of specialty somebody has for like the listeners out there, if you are graphic design, if you are a technical writer, if you have experience in broadcasting, publicity, um, those kind of things, go on to slava.win, 
and you can sign up to be a volunteer. And what we're doing is we're building these courses to be this app-based uh, thing to go out. Um, it's already built. It's been used by professional um, sports teams and NCAA sports teams and international uh, football clubs. Um, and so it's like a, it's a real network. It's a real thing. It's We're actually using it inside Ukraine right now with some test uh, units, but it's a way for them to figure out how to use a jab and a stinger with like an app-based learning thing. And we're geolocating it so you can't download it unless you're in a uh, fenced area. It's only in Ukrainian and, you know, some other safeguards yeah. you have in it. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, if you guys want to come and help, that would be fantastic. We oh. need it. Um, and that's great. Uh, but one of the things that we really came out, like we need to stress is that, you know, here's something we found in America if people want to help the fight, right? They don't want to help supply guns and bullets. They want to help with refugees. They want to help with medical yeah. gear. They want to help with yep. whatever. But the best way to save a life is through ballistic plates, right? And better body armor. And like studies have shown that through Iraq and Afghanistan that, you know, somebody shows up in Dover and they do some measurements on his gear and found that if it would have been, you know, his plate would have ridden in the right spot half an inch higher, or if he was wearing the correct size plate half an inch wider, he wouldn't have gotten killed potentially, right? And um, so to explain that to civilians is is really interesting. Like if you want to save lives, donate to somebody who's providing bulletproof armor, right? Which mm -hmm. yeah. I was asked to be a speaker for my school, the School of the University of Chicago, uh, about my experiences in Ukraine with like two Ukrainians and an artist who graduated the school and then was working there as an artist. And this artist, um, in the same way that Ukraine has turned into like full war force, right? This artist who was there, no military experience, when the fighting kicks off, he leaves, um, you know, as one probably would in a war zone. But um, he ends up coming back and getting a van and he's running bulletproof vests over the border to and from Poland and Ukraine. And it's like, I had to speak up in that conference and was like, listen, you know, cause I'm talking to a bunch of uh, high level academia and artists, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want to, they don't want to volunteer or help with wartime stuff. They want to help with the recovery of, they want to help with the medical supply, the logistics sides. But I was like, if you guys want to save lives, donate to somebody who's providing bulletproof vests, right? Like, the best way to use an IFAT kit is it for you to just sit on your gear and you never get, you know, bullet penetration, right? <laughs> yeah, the um, best way to use an IFAT is to not use it. Well, exactly. imagine, imagine world, imagine a world where the civilians have bulletproof. You know, yeah, potentially, bad. right? Uh, but it was a, it was a good eye opener for them. But something else that we're really looking at and pushing like information to Ukraine is like, uh, what is it called? Like hemostatic. Uh, donation centers right where um you know you get a guy good tourniquet and you can pump more blood into him right um and they don't have like a level of they don't have an echelon of of uh extracts the next level of support sometimes especially in like maripol and things like that and so sure. we're trying to really push down to those guys like you know to, you know this could potentially extend your life expectancy on the ground once hit right start collecting blood start building banks things like that that's um that is such a powerful uh, realization, man, for you guys that are listeners, um, all of the combat that we experienced myself, Owen and Zach, um, and myself personally, um, being, uh, being in a medevac process, like the golden hour that Zach is talking about. Um, when you do have an, a higher echelon of trauma center and trauma care, yes, that golden hour, 
will save lives. Mm -hmm. It will absolutely save lives. However, uh, in this situation, there is no higher level of care. Uh, You're going to be lucky to get yourself to a surgical unit. You're going to be lucky to get yourself to, uh, you know, even a location that's, that's sanitized properly to administer higher echelon medical care. You know, the risk of death through, you know, through infection, shock, mm-hmm. uh, super, super high, even with wounds that in today's modern battle space, if you had a good logistics train and a, and a good medical evacuation plan, no problem. We'll get you, right. I, matter of fact, we'll even get you back in the fight in a, in a couple months. Right. Whereas now it's just like, okay, well, you know, if you get shot, you, you're, there's, there's a significant possibility that you will die from that gunshot wound if not cared yeah. for properly. And one yeah, of the biggest like, things that was hurting guys, especially towards the beginning of the war, you know, less so now that it's the spring, but was hypothermia. You know, a lot of guys were perfect. We're perfect going from example. hypothermia, you know, and like, like I said, when I was there, it was 28 degrees and snowing every day. It was so yeah. a lot of, are you saying a lot of the uh, Ukrainian resistance fighters and everything were, were dying of hypothermia? Not resistance fighters, but there's a lot of reports of like um, the military uh, were actually taken out of the fight or dying from hypothermia. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that was the thing that, um, you know, digress here a little bit. When I, when I came back from my deployment, um, to Iraq, my grandfather had served in the 82nd airborne in, in Europe. And he served at, he served at the battle of the bulge. He served in the Ardans in the winter. And he was just like beside himself stating that, you know, we were, we were these advanced gunfighters and that we were the, you know, um, that we were very hard men, right? That was the term that he used. He's like, you guys are hard mm-hmm. men. Right. And like, I got so emotional. I still get emotional to this day because that was that was almost 20 years ago when that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, holy shit, that's crazy. That was almost 20 years ago that, that I got fucking blown up. But but to like witness this this man who survived these conditions that you are now speaking of, right? Yeah. Don't have enough ammo, don't have enough clothes, don't have enough, you know, suitable winter clothing to keep me alive and able to fight. It's happening again in the right. year 2021. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I mean, if you think back to like uh, the winter package at Bridgeport in the oh, Marine yeah. Corps, the, the, yeah. you know, uh, the, the Marine Corps' cold weather training in the mountains, uh, and we sort of grumbled about it. It was miserable. Everyone's got to go do it. And we're like, oh, okay, this sucks. I got to be cold and I got to wear these moon boots and I got to mm-hmm. do all this stuff. Uh, but now we're seeing why we have that. Like uh, these, uh, the Ukrainians could use that equipment. They could use that gear, those warming layers, those, yeah. those well, tactics. It's like it, in Ukraine, it's not like, well, you know what, man? I just have to suf- suffer and get through this 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 course until I'm back down in, at Camp right. Pendleton. Zach, Zach, I want to say It's literally a season. It's literally wanna, a season. I, I want to yeah. say this, Zach, like the, because uh, I've been watching the news. I follow the news very studiously about this. And, uh, and I have the other people I talk to about it. Uh, but I'll be honest, nowhere in the last two months did I actually consider that it's the fricking winter <laughs> in uh, Ukraine and it's yeah. freezing and like I never even thought about it that. It's cold, yeah. man. But I guarantee <laughs> every every fighter on the battlefield is constantly thinking about it because I've been in freezing yeah. temperatures and, and yeah. like that's a huge thing to them. 
Yeah. yeah. And it, I wasn't even thinking about it. I well, feel you know, guilty. We, I feel like a jerk. We have this we have this very strange sense of or false sense of security that, oh well, it's you know, I'm 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 a United States Marine in 2021, tw- about to be 2022, or you know, and I'm never gonna have to deal with that. I yeah. like I'm good, man. And it's just like, I don't know about all that. Like well, you should probably yeah. harden the fuck up a little bit. You know what it's I mean? It's so like, funny, man, that uh I messed up big time, I'll be honest, you know. So I've been wearing these uh, Merrill boots for basically everything outdoors for like years now. I don't like to trade up, get like the shoes and boots, man, I'll wear until they're dead, you know, especially when I was in the military. Uh, But these like Merrill's I've had for like five years, six years, you know, treads like almost gone, you know. Um, Oh boy, I messed up hard. They are, (laughs) the soles are cracked. The soles are cracked in like, you you went to your brain in those Merrill's? Oh my God. So the soles have like cracks in them, right? And they're no longer anywhere near waterproof. And so every day we would start the day and I would soak up water into my boots and I would immediately yeah. start the day with wet feet. And yeah, <laughs> it, was, yeah, oh dear Lord. it was like another level of miserable, man. I just well, felt like well, I was yeah. in so some like Marine this Corps is, training again. Yeah, you know, I was talking to Cody. I was talking to Cody Carroll about this too. Um, and just like the basic, basic infantry skills. Basic infantry skills, which is essentially fieldcraft. Yep. It's understanding fieldcraft. It's understanding how do you keep yourself dry and how do you keep yourself warm? And yep. it's like everybody, everybody's like, ah, this is a bullshit class. I don't need to hear about this, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no, it will change everything. Actually, you do. You, yeah, know, you, you need do. to learn these you things. Like, and well, I, you know, from being like being a mountain hunter and and being a, a you know a backpack hunter. Yeah. When I leave for when I leave the when I leave the truck for ten days, it's it's like I, I mean I could come back to the truck if I really wanted to, and it really right. got super shitty, and I'm just like you know what this is not I'm not having fun anymore. The yeah. truck is always there, right? It's it's within a day's walk, but not in that situation. <laughs> well, no, uh, yeah. that, that, that's that's the one thing you know, for for the average person uh, that might be listening that has has never been in a war zone because uh, a lot of your listeners uh from monday sniper are veterans but mm-hmm. uh yep there's there's a significant number that aren't uh and uh like the three of us all know and we take it for granted actually is that the effectiveness of a fighting force can come down to these what what the average person would, would consider mundane unimportant issues like yep. the health of your feet Grant- Grind you to uh, a halt. Uh, yeah, just uh, you're uh, done. Like, yeah, if if you don't have the proper gear to keep yourself warm in a, a frozen environment, if you don't have the proper uh, knowledge to keep your feet healthy in a wet or or cold environment, uh, and all that can take an entire regiment and distract them because their feet are rotten their feet are blistered, their feet are yeah. infected, it can take an entire regiment and render them almost useless because they're fighting staph infections in their feet. And uh, and it's crazy to think about that when you look at the larger picture of things. But yeah, something as simple as proper socks and boots yeah. uh, can uh, change the tide of an entire battle. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because when I was reaching out for what we could get, that is exactly what I went after, man, because the guys we had, they had 
you know, tennis shoes. And I'm like, we got to get these guys boots. Yeah. First, that ain't right? Yeah. And, um, you know, unfortunately we weren't able to do that, you know, at, at all. She wasn't able to materialize in time, uh, or funds, but, um, you know, now it's like, it's past the cold season. Right. And it's starting to warm up over there. And so it's better, but yeah, man, like, you know, I was going after, uh, uh, boots, boot socks specifically because if you give a bunch of people boots right and they're never worn you know military style boots how many you know foot injuries are there in boot camp right when somebody starts wearing boots for the first time doesn't know how to you know what socks to wear under them or whatever you know they're, they'd come out with some ankle socks or some some uh no-show socks in the boots and just get all kinds of uh blisters and things and put themselves down and like you said man it's, that's so right you know you you let the enemy you know kind of uh uh, destabilize themselves by by having foot injuries and succumbing to the environment in the same way that you set out toe bombers. You know, for every one injured, it takes two to care for. You know, same thing with yep. cold weather injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, man. These so, are all so, things so. that that uh, that need to be like that are at the forefront of discussions that um, would seem otherwise completely mundane and irrelevant, but they're not. Right. right. I mean, and the average person that hasn't been, uh, I guess, on a battlefield or in the military, because we take these things for granted. Well, we, we, I mean, we spent years uh, learning how to care for our feet, learning how to wear the proper gear. Uh, and we sometimes forget that the average person doesn't know that those things exist for a reason. Like we focus on those things every day for a reason, because mm-hmm. there was a point in the past where we had to learn the hard way that those things are important. Uh, so I guess, I guess Zach, is there, uh, I don't know if you know this uh, or if you are in tune with this, but is, when it comes to that, is there, if, if someone's listening and they want to help out in some way, they want to get some boots or, or proper gear to people, like where do they go? Yeah. So like what do they do. Yep. Um, the organization we started or we, are working with out of the jiu-jitsu academy is called overwatchfoundationusa.org uh overwatch foundation is the name of the organization and the, the, the website is just it's the website uh but yeah people can send in uh we've had people send in their old body armor we've had people send in their old ifat kits tourniquets all kinds of stuff and they can send in medical supplies um anything you think that could help the the fight the front uh, send it in. We actually have a good logistics link up uh, through to Ukraine where we are saving on uh, transportation costs like really drastically. Uh, you know, a lot of organizations are paying like $70,000 just to get things over uh, by renting out a cargo plane and things where we have that cause e- cost eased to us. So yeah, overwatchfoundationusa.org would be huge for people to go to and, and uh, donate to or to send goods to. That's fantastic. Uh, and also, yeah, if they want to volunteer their uh, knowledge or skills, yeah, Slava.win uh, is is fantastic for that, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Man, um, th- this, this, has been a, this has been a great conversation, Zach. It's been a great conversation. Tons of, tons of information shared. You know, what, what you guys did is absolutely commendable. Um, and do you intend to return or is this like, 
were you like, you know what, I'm good. Now I understand how I can, how I can. Um, if you can talk about that, if you wish yeah. to disclose that. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like one of those things, right? Now, so I'll leave you with this story uh, first. So, uh, so back to the beginning, right? We were given these medic or we bought all this medical gear, right? And they were handing us out this free stuff. And one of these things were these uh, green uh, baby wipes, right? Green apple scented. And um, one of the first days we were there, uh, Yuri had said, hey, guys, go ahead and take baths or showers. Um, but this isn't America. Don't use a lot of water. You'll run our well dry. And if air gets in the system, it'll break the system, right? And we're like, okay. Yeah. Took showers, you know, went on with our day, but we didn't get that like formal invitation, if you will, to take a shower for a couple, another couple of days. And I was busy. We'd get home at, you know, five, five thirty or something, eat dinner, hang out with the family for a couple of minutes. And then I would immediately go up and start doing logistics work and contact people back in the United States um, and then come back downstairs and plan our day for the next day. And then, you know, usually get to bed around 12 or one. So it wasn't a whole lot of like downtime. Right. And so I ended up showering like two or three times when we were there. And it was really funny because it wasn't the combat deployment in any sense of the word. Right. But do you know that feeling when you get back from a combat patrol or from a combat deployment and everything's kind of heightened on like a level of like, we're safer now. Right. On this yes. level of like, it's, right. Well, it's very, well, in, it's very intense. It's very intense. Right. So we're driving back through Romania. And uh, we're at this truck stop in Romania getting some breakfast. <clears throat> and um, which, by the way, the truck stops in Romania are not like the truck stops here. This place is a sit down <laughs> restaurant with fantastic food, you know. And um, it was so funny. We're just we're just sitting there. And Mark is super Scottish, right? Like he's from Scotland. Heavy accent. And uh, we're just sitting there and, you know, it's morning. We've been up for a while. You know, this post combat feeling, right? And, um, it always makes me like a little bit giggly, right? Not to sound like a little girl, but it always, no, like, it's the truth. there's it's, like an yeah. internal happiness, right? Like a sense of security is back. Right. And, um, we're just sitting there, we're drinking espresso bullshitting a little bit. And, uh, um, our driver, the dad from the, from the Academy is back with us. And I was like sitting there, I'm like, how many times do you guys shower there? And uh, they're like every day. I'm like, what? <laughs> you guys showered every day? And Mark looks at me and goes, yeah, man, are you disgusting? And I was like, well, first off, I didn't know that was an option because I didn't get that invitation, <laughs> but for the first day, right? And Yuri's like, no, man, no, what? Are you disgusting? And I'm like, no, I'm not disgusting, man. I've been using those those baby wipes, those green apple baby wipes. I smell delicious. And, Mark, and Mark's eating and he goes, wait a minute. Did you say green apple? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a moment of realization on his face, right? And I look over, I'm like, yeah. And he goes, oh, man, how many times you use those? And I'm like, pretty much every day. <laughs> and he's like, those are Clorox wipes. And so, oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> I just, it was in that moment, man. I'm dying. I, I Mark is literally crying. I'm choking to death. And her, her, the driver's like, <laughs> He's like, he pulls out his Google Translate, throws on, what's everyone laughing about? And it, like, it just heightened, oh man, it was hilarious. So it was like, oh man, 
it was just one of those moments, man, that, you know, I'll, I'll never forget. And uh, the boys never let me forget that green apple wipes are not for wiping your body, you know, but uh, <laughs> as they say, I was, just, I was extra clean in, uh, in Ukraine, man. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, guys, um, this was a, this was a great time. And, you know, Zach, at any point in time that, um, that there's uh, another relevant, another relevant topic or another, we'd love to have you back on. Uh, I'm sure that the, I'm sure that the listeners are going to really enjoy this podcast. This podcast yeah, cool. is very, very different from, um, all of our, all of our previous episodes, which is fine. Mm -hmm. Um, as we grow the podcast, it's going to be more, more diverse. And I think that this is really important for people to hear and listen to and, and, um, and gain some perspective on. So, so thank you. Thank you for being here. Owen, thank you for facilitating this. And, um, well, I'm going to take your information, Zach, and I'm going to do a, a, a separate recording, um, for the introduction. And that'll okay. include, um, you know, we're going to put links to your charities, uh, the charitable organizations that you support in the description. So that way people can just have a one-stop shop and here, hit this link. If you want to donate, um, I'm very interested in that training application. So I'm going to, I'm going to jam with you cool. on that, uh, offline and, yeah. um, we're just going to continue the conversation. And if you have ever have anything that you feel like would be, uh, beneficial to the audience, just, you know, hit me up, hit me direct, hit Owen direct, and we'll set it up. There's, it, this is very easy for us to facilitate, to bring you on board. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for your efforts, man. Thanks. I, I appreciate, uh, Owen for setting this up. Um, and yeah, I've been listening to the podcast and I'm like, you know, I don't know where I fit in here, you know, like, sure. I'm a school <laughs> trained sniper and urban sniper, but, uh, you know, I haven't been using those skills for a long time. And I was like, you know, is it going to be just super awkward? But yeah, I've had a great conversation. You guys have pulled out things that I didn't think about, uh, as well. Um, and yeah, if people want to go to my Instagram. Uh, that is how I make my living as an artist. Uh, that's fantastic too. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, man. This has been fantastic. And, uh, I'm definitely going to come out and take some courses. Oh, we'd love to have you at any time. Right and just always remember one of the things that we say is, you know, um, shooting is, uh, 10% of our job as snipers, but when, uh, it's time to use that skill, it becomes hundred percent of your purpose. So, right. um, we always have to be, we're, we're some of the most diverse individuals in the military when it comes to that regard on the reconnaissance side of the house. So, um, yeah, super, super stoked to, to be chatting with, with another fellow hog and, um, you know, thank you for your time. Thank you for your efforts. And, you know, it, it's, um, it's, uh, it's always, it's always a, a, an incredible selfless act to just be like, you know what, everything that I do is going towards this, this charitable organization or mm -hmm. maybe not even necessarily everything, but the majority of what you're trying to accomplish is, is for, is for charity. And that's, that's awesome. So um, thank you for what you're doing, man. And, um, we will, uh, we'll catch you guys on the, on the next one. Cool. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks Owen. Yeah. It's great to talk to you guys. All right. See you guys later. You guys know the drill. Keep your face on the gun. <laughs>